ready? It's time for DLC. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this show to power you through a workout or a run. Or, hey, maybe you're doing housework, some chores. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90-plus minutes. We got your back because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper and Fireside. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is always springing forward, even when he's falling back. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everybody. Uh, new marriages sketches are available <gasps> now. I'm in that. You are in that. You were in the first four. We shot three more, and you can find them all on my YouTube, which is just Christian Spicer 713. There's a playlist for all seven. The three new ones, I think, came out fantastic. Um, yeah, they're really good. They're really. I'm very proud to be a part of that. Christian wrote some really, really funny stuff. So you guys should definitely take a, a few minutes and check those out. Yeah, they're all like, I think the longest one's a minute 40. They're not, uh, they don't overstay their welcome. <laughs> That's right. No, they're great. Um, speaking of things that don't overstay their welcome, uh, the big announcement that I couldn't talk about last week, I can finally talk about. I'm doing um, a new daily show that also doesn't overstay its welcome. It's it's bite size. Uh, newest, latest, best is back, Christian. It's back. What? Yeah. Um, and it's going to be on Anchor, or not going to be. It is. It's there. You can listen to it. it all week long, I've been doing um, new daily content on Anchor. You can find that. Um, it's not easy to tell you the URL, but if you go to my my Twitter feed, uh, Jeff Kanata on Twitter, you can find uh, a link to to that. And, and uh, I'm kind of tweeting out links every single day. There's new content, but it only lasts 24 hours. So you can't listen to yesterday's. You can only listen to today's and, and you got to check in every day. It's really cool. It's going to be interactive. And it's also where Tabletop Time is going to live for the most part. When we have guests on the show that are into board games, we'll do Tabletop Time here. But uh, because, you know, Christian's not so into it and it's it's been, you know, up and down on the show, it kind of tends to be a monologue. I'm going to leave it on the show where I do monologues. So uh, if you're into tabletop time, that's where you can find it most often. In fact, today's episode, if you're listening today on Monday, today's episode is all board game talk. So check that out. All right. Moving on. Uh, we have a big show here today on DLC. Uh, lots of cool news. And, uh, you know, this is probably the best first three months in video games of all time. So lots of cool stuff to talk about. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because DLC stands for drafting literature and columns because we have a guest who is both a video game writer at Forbes and the author of the Earthborn trilogy. We are pleased to welcome Mr. Paul Tassi to the show. Hey, Paul. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So Paul has an awesome microphone. And uh, and we 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 were trying to make that microphone work for some reason we couldn't get it to cooperate with the software that we use to record the show so he is unfortunately having to use a less good microphone so please uh, bear with us this episode he'll he'll maybe sound a little hollow but we think uh, it's worth having him on because he's an awesome guy so um uh, you know save your emails and your tweets we know that it doesn't sound as good. As Wait. it could have, but Paul oh, oh, oh. sounds hollow. Kevin Bacon was in Hollow Man. 
Zelda is about Link, who is a man who stars in Breath of the Wild. This is a video game podcast. 9-11 was an inside job. I think I did it. Good job. Good job. All right. <laughs> Let's get to the rest of the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit your stories by using our hashtag on Twitter, that is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Uh, lots of cool stories submitted this week, lots of cool discussion happening. Uh, you can also always submit emails to us by uh, using the email address DLCfeedback at gmail.com. Paul... You are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, what would you consider to be the story of the week? Uh, the story of the week? Hmm, let's see. I, what I've been following kind of hilariously over the course of the past 24 hours was uh, the YouTuber critic Jim Sterling gave uh, Zelda 7 out of 10, and uh, Nintendo fans have been losing their mind for... <laughs> yes, how dare he? Yeah, he, deserves to be, uh, he deserves to be doxxed and... And uh, he deserves his site to be shut down. A seven out of ten—that's unacceptable. He deserves to have to be silenced. No one should ever listen or read anything he says. Right? That's the that's the opinion. That's of, the gist of, of it. Yeah. And everyone's everyone's so mad because he took the Metacritic score down from the ninety-eight, which was one of just tied for kind of one of the best of all time, to just a mere ninety-seven. So now it's tied with a bunch of other, you know. Riff raff, like some 97, of the other games yeah. of all time. <laughs> right. 97 is garbage. It should never be played by anyone. A 98 is or above is the only games that I will ever play. Let's DDoS Jim Sterling and uh, let's slander him and do everything we can because how dare you. Uh, actually, I, I would love to read Jim Sterling's entire review. Unfortunately, I can't because his site has been DDoSed. I tried to read it this morning. Uh, I was able to read the sort of snippet that Metacritic pulled out, which basically uh, he said uh, that while it is a, an amazing game, it's hidden behind some frustrating uh, mechanics. I mean, we'll probably be talking lots of Zelda in the uh, playlist segment, but what is your feeling about this, this whole story? I mean, I, obviously, as, as reviewers, we want somebody to be able to say their opinion, but what is your feeling on on where he stands and what he said about the game and the reaction to it. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it kind of comes down to he, a lot of the stuff he lists as the game's faults are faults that I can also acknowledge are in the game, but there's, there are things I was willing to overlook kind of as time went on. Like he really cites, you know, weapon durability in Zelda as being like this huge annoyance and stuff like not being able to climb in the rain and, and things that are kind of annoying, but, over time, I've kind of gotten to to appreciate them, and like I think the weapon breakability kind of encourages diversity of play and like different styles. But it just seems like he ultimately wasn't able to kind of get past a lot of that stuff. Mm. And then he just he generally thinks that kind of the format of the game with all these like kind of what he calls Ubisoft towers and and the shrines like, as these individual puzzle locations scattered, it just doesn't feel like it's really fits in with the Zelda narrative. And I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with that. And I think it's kind of well integrated into the game in a way that doesn't feel forced, but I don't know. I mean, I, I fully disagree with his review, but I, 
understands and respects his right to write it and to score it however he wants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my old colleague uh, on the Totally Rad Show, Dan Trachtenberg, coined a term that we used a lot when we were doing that show. Called, he, he, would, he would call that stuff the good suck that's it sucks but it's a good suck it when you know when your weapon breaks nobody wants their weapon to break nobody wants to not be able to climb a mountain in the rain all those things suck but it's a good suck because it it forces you to to play the game in a different way it it is the the speed bump that makes you appreciate when you can you know drive fast it's the it's the frame on the picture that forces the picture to be contained in in an in an interesting way and I completely agree with that. I mean, I think those things are annoying and, and there are moments where I'm like, oh, I just, just want the rain to stop. But that is part of that simulation of that universe. Um, but I, th- I guess the more pertinent part of this uh, topic, Christian, is uh, why are we such jerks in the gaming community? Why, why do people feel the need to react this way? when someone has a different opinion than they do? Well, unfortunately, I don't think it's limited to the gaming community. And to answer the, the bigger question, I'm not I'm not sure why. I think uh, part of it is fandom. People want the thing that they think is the best to be universally regarded as the best. So I think people take offense to um, you know, someone viewing something differently than they do or that combined with the idea that they're maybe doing it to get clicks, to get page views. Um, be contrarian, you know, right? To be the, right. Yeah. They don't trust the integrity of the art of the review. It's, you know, you're either paid if it's too high, like Marvel pays you everything. Every Marvel cinematic movie pays you, Jeff, but every oh, Fox Marvel only. movie doesn't. If only. Indeed. And DC doesn't. Um, no, I didn't say they pay you a lot. You're just easy to buy off. It's like a <laughs> right, that's a sandwich, is what right. I mean. <laughs> um, and then if you if you don't if you break the other way, it's well, of course you're going for page views or your clicks or you just wanted to stand out or you know whatever it is. But it happens, and, and I kind of understand it. I remember uh, it, it felt like a little bit of a kick to the crotch when oh I forget the reviewer, the first person who gave um, the the film Get Out. Um, an un a rotten review dropping that from 100 to 98 or 99 ultimately it doesn't matter but it was kind of cool in this film that i think is important and amazing and by a creator that i think is amazing you know it's fun to see it ride that wave of quote-unquote perceived perfection Talking about um, arm and white probably it was that, White. yeah, was it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's he's a sort of a notable contrarian as well in the in the movie review space yeah yeah so like when that happened i was kind of like ah Dang it. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. But it happens in other spaces as well. You know, there, there's a whole network of people complaining about sports trades, right? Like, I mean, there's there are several cable TV shows, uh, podcasts, radio shows where the, there are literal Monday morning quarterbacks. And, you know, like yeah. it's not it's not well, exclusive to games. You're just- absolutely right, of course. But to keep it in the game space, maybe maybe the the best way to frame this question is – does Metacritic do a disservice to gamers? Is the focus on this weird abstraction of an amalgamation of reviews worth caring about? What do you think, Paul? I think generally speaking, Metacritic does a a decent job of kind of conveying the overall health of a game. Um, 
it's it's a little different than Rotten Tomatoes, where the scores you see there are kind of a lot more varied. But at this point in in the gaming space, we've kind of understood that if a game is a seventy, that's you know not that great. That's kind of like a C minus. Like we almost kind of have adopted this letter grade system now, where most everything is between a seven and a ten, and under that is failing. So like if if, if it's a six, it's a D plus. It's not a six out of ten for a movie review, which would technically be positive. Um, Overall, I, I think it becomes a problem when we get these like super intense fanboy wars over like one point in a score, yeah. or when developers or publishers start setting up bonuses if if a uh, developer hits a certain Metacritic score. Like that is super unhealthy. But again, that's not. I don't think that's the critics' fault or Metacritics' fault. That is on on the publishers uh, for for putting that in place, and it's on the fans for kind of overreacting. Like it's. I'm not a huge fan of scores, but I, I don't think they're this pervasive problem that they need to be kind of banished. Um, I, I think the issues are kind of outside that. My take on this is I've always been a harsh critic of Metacritic. <laughs> I don't. I visited the site maybe once or twice. Maybe the second time ever was when today I, I looked at <laughs> Jim Sterling's thing because I couldn't find it any other place. Uh, I, I do not like Rotten Tomatoes. I do not like Metacritic. I do not use them. And I think for me, the reason that I don't is that they don't engender conversation. They don't – the idea of a critic pointing out flaws in Zelda I think is interesting because maybe it can create a conversation that other people aren't having. That is the point of criticism. The point of criticism or or just just review in general is – not to arrive at consensus. And I think that Metacritic aims to create a false sense of consensus. We we took all the reviews together and everybody agreed it's an 80. No, some guy said it's a 90 and some guy said it's a 70 and now you have an 80. That's not consensus. That's average and it's useless you have, to me. You have a thousand of those. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to this. to a place where, yeah, where... Right, where groupthink has kind of come to a consensus, but I don't find that useful. Well, you go to a lot of movies for free, and you receive uh, some, a third, I don't know, of games for free, and I, I, I do think that colors your opinion on these things. Like, when I'm viewing, and, and I think, you know, regular person with limited free time and whose job isn't to go see movies and play games, like you and I can both tell our wives, hey, babe, sorry, I know it's Friday, I need to play Zelda for four hours or five, you know what I mean? Like, and they'll understand other people that have uh, normal lives and budgets that they need to consider and, and then maybe there's a game they don't know about and are they going to buy I mean, How many emails or tweets did we get? Hey, should I get a VR headset or a Switch? For Zelda, I don't have a Wii U. And that's a very real consideration. And so those people want our opinions, but I don't think it's it's annoying for them to also seek out a broad consensus to see what the quote-unquote Yelp score is for something. And then you can tweak that as you need. I don't think people rely wholly on that. I, you know, I'd, I think I would kind of roll my eyes at someone that says like, oh, if a game is uh, 69 or below, I definitely will not play it no matter what. But to use it as like a jumping off point for should I dive deeper into this thing or is this thing worth my time? I mean, that makes sense to me. Unless I see Paul's name on a review, then I just I just disregard it entirely. I'm like, <laughs> idiot. <laughs> well, that's the other part of this is like you talk about, you know, Metacritic creating, trying to create this kind of consensus. But while it is this one big number that appears, you know, on the homepage, the whole point of those is being a review aggregator. So you have this list of 60 reviews so you can see why people 
gave a game a 10 out of 10 or why someone gave it out of a 7 out of 10. You have the option of reading all those individual reviews, either based on if it's an outlet you like or a critic you like, or it, so it, it kind of creates the situation where you can be involved as you want to be in your own pursuit of information. And like, I personally have found it useful because, you know, say I've gotten tomatoes, if some movie I've really never heard of is scoring like 95 plus, I think that helps a movie like get out, like mm-hmm. without, you know, people seeing how highly that was scoring. Like this is literally one of the best horror movies <laughs> critics have seen in 10 years. I think that really helps it. And it goes above and beyond just kind of word of mouth. So I, I do kind of extract some use use from those sites. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree that um, having a place that aggregates all the reviews in, in one place is, is not useful. I think that that is certainly it's nice to be able to say, oh, I can click through all the reviews for one thing. That's great. Um, but I, I do think the oversimplification of that to distill that down to a number, which is I think you would have to admit the, the most common use of Metacritic or the common reference to Metacritic is like, Oh, here's that number that it's been all distilled down to. I just think that that shorthand isn't particularly useful for me. And I don't, I don't necessarily think it's just because I'm playing everything. It's because I, I, I don't, I don't think I want you Christian to conflate the idea of not liking a forced consensus with not liking reviews or not taking advice from reviews. I certainly encourage, as as somebody who gives my opinion for a living, I certainly encourage people to take advice from reviews, but I think it's much more useful to find, seek out and find those voices that you resonate with. Or even if you don't resonate with them, you, uh, you, you can... Can you can find out some aspect of their character that makes you real understand whether or not you will agree or disagree with them. So you watch enough Jim Sterling, you go, I'm definitely going to have a different feeling about Zelda than Jim Sterling is. Or, oh my gosh, I'm fi- I'm glad somebody's finally saying what he's saying because I often agree with Jim Sterling or Jeff Kanata or Christian Spicer or whomever. I, I think it is instead of creating this weird objective consensus – it is get more subjective and find the subjects that you agree with or can actually understand where they're coming from. I, I love that thought. Um, Dillstead in the chat is saying, you know, people want an easy way to determine if something is worth their time. Aggregate sites play right into that. People don't want to read a review. They don't have the attention span. And while that might hurt my soul a little bit, I think I agree. I mean, people find someone to keep them warm at night and or potentially marry by swiping left or right on their phone. Like, society <laughs> is changing. Yeah. We are old. Uh, <laughs> all right. Now you're depressing me. Zelda's a 92. There, I said it. I'm all out. All right. Christian, what's your, what's your story of the week? Well, it's hot. Hot off the press. Um, PlayStation Now has said that PlayStation 4 games are coming to the service. I said that backwards. PlayStation 4 games are coming to PlayStation Now. This was uh, announced maybe an hour ago um, as of recording this. There, um, There's no, at least from what I know, no, no date, no window specified. But I feel like this has to be a reaction to the Xbox, what is it, Xbox Games Library, um, Whatever yeah, that. they couldn't have come up with a more generic name for that thing, right? It's very forgettable, whatever the Xbox X- Game Game Pass, I think it is. Yeah, Game Pass, yeah. Pretty boring. Yeah, uh, yeah. thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> I feel like it has to be a reaction to that because that, you know, it's similar um, in the sense that it's a subscription service and access to Xbox 360 games, but they also had Xbox One games, notably Halo 5 and a couple of others. 
And then PlayStation Now has been the subscription service that was exclusively PlayStation 3 games. And they had announced before that they were going to um, discontinue access to PlayStation Now via your Vita and some other devices. And they're going to, I think, limit it to just PlayStation 4 and PC. And they said that that would help ensure, um, you know, a quality of the system. And now today the news is they're going to add PlayStation 4 games to that system that is currently $20 a month, I believe. Um, but th- it's exciting. You know, it, it's getting closer to that at, for a consumer. What can be beneficial of games as a service platform? Uh, it still is, you know, you're streaming the game, so it will still have its problems, I think, if your bandwidth isn't up to snuff. But, Paul, is this a thing that you think – that interests you this kind of game pass game subscription kind of service or are you uh, own a game put it on your disc or put it on your hard drive uh, kind of person i mean i guess for me in my job i'm getting copies of these games kind of outright so like subscribing to a service isn't necessarily appealing to me but for the overall kind of direction of the industry i definitely think this is a, a good direction to pursue and like sony adding ps4 games is pretty pretty logical i mean they it that felt like something they were going to do kind of inevitably at this point um this whole streaming thing i I think one of the core reasons the xbox game pass was kind of appealing out of the gate was that if you want and you don't have the bandwidth or don't want to deal with you know lag which is really important when you're when you're playing a game instead of a movie uh you can just download the games and sony still does not seem to be offering that uh, so, and I, I think it's still double the price, essentially. It, it has a bigger library, certainly. Um, but it's, I think it's $20 a month compared to $10 a month. Um, I, I think it's a good step forward. And I think that we are just marching inevitably towards the end of physical media for games. Um, and this is kind of one step in that direction again. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I definitely feel like the the big difference for me, the big big turning point, other than price, which is not insignificant, um, being double, you know, what Xbox is talking about, is uh, not being able to download that game and play it locally. And I think that I'm still in that place where I, that's what that's how I want to interact with my games. We may get technologically to the place where that's irrelevant and it's indistinguishable from you know streaming it on a uh, remote server somewhere to playing it locally, but we're not there yet. And I still, I like this approach from Xbox saying, Hey, download it to your local system. That's you just download whatever you want and play it uh, from your, from your Xbox locally. Uh, and I, I would like PlayStation to have an option like that, uh, especially at double the price, but it is, it is pretty cool to make these games um, much more accessible. And we're moving toward that, day and date of a big release, which is, I think, really where the watershed moment is going to be. Because once, you know, a, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn on the, on day of is you can play it streaming or you can play it by buying it from a store. I think that's really where this will become a viable, you know, way to play everything. And I think that's, that's the moment that everything changes. Yeah, well, I mean, some version of that, maybe if it's even just like the Netflix version where you'll get Daredevil, you know, Daredevil comes there first, but like um, the the Hollywood movie is going to be four months later still or something like that. But it's interesting and it's interesting to see how developers and publishers kind of react to it and and, and who 
remains victorious in this struggle for our I'm already paying for it <laughs> subscription fee that you just kind of forget about on your credit card until you have to enter a new credit card number when your old credit card expires. And you're like, oh, what is all that crap I'm subscribed to? What? Kitty litter delivery? My cat's been dead 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so sad. <laughs> um you guys have left me a lot of stories. There's a lot of uh, juicy tidbits that have happened this week for uh, Story of the Week. I think my favorite, the one that has certainly intrigued me the most, is the a new update to No Man's Sky that dropped, I guess, late last week, uh, very early this week. Uh, this story was submitted by uh, Azrael Kans in the, um, in the subreddit. Uh, this is the Pathfinder update for No Man's Sky, and it adds a lot of <laughs> really cool stuff. Vehicles. I mean, we've already had, obviously, your spaceship, but now you've got land vehicles, not just one, but three different types of land vehicles that you can build and acquire. And it's got all kinds of PlayStation 4 Pro improvements like 4K rendering and HDR lighting and stuff. It's got new uh, new difficulty modes, a permadeath mode included. But for me, even more than the the vehicles is... This idea that you can now share your bases with other people and they can leave messages or you can leave messages for them. Now, finally, in this game, my, the way I have affected my planet or any planet I find can be visited by other players. I can have some reason for building all the structures that I can now build with the, the most, you know, the latest update or the most previous update. Uh, I feel like this is the way the game was supposed to be. This is the way the game should have been when it when it was released. Um, so, Paul, my question to you is, uh, do you think this is cool? Do you think it's too little too late? Or do you think maybe the game should have been released as a quote-unquote early access title while they were working on all this cool stuff? Uh, I think in hindsight, early access probably would have been the right call given you know what it launched as and, and how they're kind of adding to it now. And I think they, a lot of people kind of feel burned after that. That said, I have been kind of one of the biggest No Man's Sky was actually pretty good people out there uh, since launch. Mm. And I, I played, you know, all the updates. This one, I wrote a story about it. And I'm like, well, there's no ETA and when this is launching. And then I like immediately launched. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so um, I, I have not gotten to play around with it yet because I've been 80 hours deep into Zelda. Now I'm starting Mass Effect. So I, I have to get to that uh, eventually. But the, what I find the coolest about it, I'm, I'm so so on the vehicles. I think once you kind of get the three and then kind of roam around a little bit, that's probably the extent of it. And I, I, I wonder about the leaving messages for people because is there some sort of, because this is a game where there's trillions of planets. Like, so what are the odds of someone actually stumbling across your base unless they added some new system where you can like really really seek out people you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so i'm wondering if you post messages if anyone will ever read them um twitter now or no man's sky what are we, what are we talking <laughs> yeah, about yeah pretty much but the one the one aspect of the update i think is the coolest is the photo mode oh um, right. th they really put in a ton of photo tools and i have been just i haven't played but i've been browsing these galleries and galleries of these absolutely gorgeous screenshots and that is even before this mode existed just when you could like remove your uh heads up display i i love taking photos in this game so so adding this mode is probably the coolest the coolest feature for me yeah i guess you can like place the sun anywhere you want to really make the lighting look as cool as possible and you're right there there have been some awesome photos that I've seen online already. Um, photo modes in games 
uh, aren't really my jam. I just don't have the patience for it, I guess. But uh, I like seeing what other people come up with with photo modes. It's so good in Horizon Zero Dawn. That had a great photo mode. Yeah. That's like a perfect game for it. Totally. Christian, what do you think about this? You, you were a defender of No Man's Sky early on, um, on your home planet that you never left. So what do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, my uh, characters had permadeath since I quit playing it. Um, <laughs> I, I still, I mean, I enjoyed the game. It's just, and it scratched a very particular itch for me. And I had been leaving messages for people on my planet since I started playing it. If anyone landed there, they'd be like, why does every rock here look like a penis? And I would say, welcome to my planet. Um, <laughs> it's utopia for you. It really is. Uh, Dick Rock Mountain, I think is what I named it. Um <laughs> For me, though, other game, you know, I bounced other things either for the show or just because I'm a moth to a flame. And then when I've said on here before, when um, uh, Forza Horizon Three came out, and I love cars and I've loved those games, and that scratch that same itch that I was getting in No Man's Sky, just kind of a chill. I'm playing. I don't really care what I'm doing. I just like being here, kind of thing, moment to moment. And when that came out, I I just I. I can't, I can't go back. I'm, I think it's great. They're still working on it. Hopefully people love it, but it's like this March is maybe the best month for video games ever. And they're all 80 hours and there's, I just can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah. So for you, it is too little too late, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's sad. Kind of, I kind of feel the same way. And, and I think if the game had hit with these features, it would have had a different, completely different place in my mind, which is a little bit. Of a or way. as early access, I think then people. Yeah you plant that flag in it and you view it as a thing to check in on right. from time to time versus like, here's this release. People are like, I want to, uh, well, this is disappointing. And then it's forever tainted with that. I mean, can it do, is it going to do uh, like the Marvel heroes release idea where that game that was, you know, the online game kind of Diablo esque kind of launched troubled. Um, then they came out with the, the next year version <laughs> so they could get a new Metacritic and, you know, yeah. new round of reviews for it. And I think no man's sky, I don't know if they create the collector's edition or whatever, but it's hard for people. If you look, Oh, that game does sound interesting. What did people say about it? And you look up reviews they're kind of negative and they don't because no one's reviewing the game as it exists right now. It's hard to do. Yeah. And, and as much as they said, Hey, we're going to continue to update this game. It wasn't positioned as uh, a game like arc survival or, you know, Conan exiles or something where it's, you know, it's like, this is a ongoing thing that is going to continue to be up to. It was, Hey, walk right. into a store, buy it in a box and you get it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we should probably move on to the playlist because a lot of fun games to be talking about. But I, I, I can't overlook the this um, court story. We, you know, we got a couple of weeks ago. We got into a big, uh, big argument about the Zenimax um, Oculus thing, and so a lot of people have been sending us updates to that. Uh, M. Tucky in the um, in the subreddit posted the story, and a lot of people have been emailing and tweeting you and I about that, Christian. The John Carmack uh, has responded to Zenimax's <laughs> position on Oculus with his own lawsuit. He is suing Zenimax for uh, $22.5 million, which I guess is half of what his stock value was when he left um, in 2009 uh, for the two, during the 2009 sale of, of uh, id to Zenimax. Uh, I know you are not a current lawyer, uh, but do you want to weigh in on this in any way? Uh, it feels like a tit for tat to me of, you know, we want money. Okay, fine. Then we're, I'm going to ask for money back. So it's, it feels a little um, spiteful. <laughs> 
Yeah, it might be. Um, I asked people on Twitter, and you and I kind of talked offline, too, if people of this show were interested in me kind of actually taking the time to break down what we talked about last time and and, and um, why I think there's merit in what Zenimax is doing. And listeners of this show and, and you and people's kids like, well, maybe do that as bonus content. And I was like, nah, that's okay. I'm not going to spend the hours uh, <laughs> required to do that to put something at the end if people aren't interested in it. I, that's fine with me. I won't do it. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree that maybe that this is kind of a tit for tat thing, but this is a totally wholly unrelated issue in terms of like this isn't spun out of the same case this isn't he thinks he has right. a claim against them because of something that was said or done um but i i could very easily see you know that these two this this company and this individual seem to have had some bad blood now for a few years and you know claims do eventually expire and maybe he was finally just fed up with it and just decided you know what fine i'm i would venture uh, uh, any amount of money to say that if they hadn't sued and won he wouldn't have levied this lawsuit at all you know i feel like this is a direct result of him being ticked off because if you read what he said about uh, the expert witness of the previous trial he was pretty upset um right. paul did you want to weigh in on this in, in any way yeah, I mean, it's it's been kind of uh, exhausting to try and follow all the backs and forths because I just heard about this uh, John Carmack thing, so I don't know kind of the full details of that. But I, I agree that it I, just from the impressions I get, it does seem like Cinemax has kind of a point with the whole original lawsuit. I don't know what this John Carmack thing is. It just seems like there's been kind of a lot of stuff brewing with them. And yeah, the fact that they lost probably did kind of put them over the edge in that regard. So. I don't know. It's it's a mess and not really what you want to see from like the first major consumer VR product out there. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully this does not last forever. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, let's move on. Um, we have uh, some awesome games to talk about. As Christian said, it's the best March ever. So uh, I do want to thank our sponsor before we move on, uh, Casper. Uh, if you if lawsuits are keeping you up at night. Or really anything is keeping you up at night. Just, uh, you know, exasperation. You want to get a good night's sleep. You want to sleep soundly. Chances are you haven't looked at your mattress in a long, long time. I actually went through all of college on the same mattress and then took it with me when I moved uh, away from college. And I started having these weird issues with my neck and my back. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Well, duh, it's a bad mattress. The good news is Casper exists to to give you one perfect mattress and they want to create a way to buy that mattress that doesn't annoy you <laughs> because buying mattresses can be very annoying when you go to the store and you get the hard sell uh, you know from the from the attendants there and you want to just kind of wander around on your own and everybody's yelling at you and you'd want to lay down on the on the thing and you test it out and it's like okay well five minutes i guess i like it oh, okay i'll buy thousands of dollars worth of mattress well casper solves all those problems you buy it only online you're not going to have any commission driven salesperson on your back you don't have to decide in five minutes you can decide over 100 nights because they're going to deliver it free to your house and you're going to be able to spend a hundred nights sleeping on your Casper mattress before you have to decide whether or not you want to keep it. If you don't want it, they'll come back and pick it up and you'll give a full refund. That's pretty amazing. That's how much they believe in their mattress. And the mattresses are great. There's a, a in-house team of engineers that has spent thousands of hours developing it, has just the right sink, just the right bounce, breathable design, sleeps cool. 
keeps you the right temperature throughout the night. And it's at a shockingly fair price. These are, they've eliminated the overhead of the big, you know, big chain stores. They don't have any salespeople to worry about paying. That's why they can keep costs low. And with over 20,000 reviews, with an average of 4.8 stars, we know we love averages. It's quickly becoming the internet's favorite masters. And uh, you get free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. You can try it for 100 nights. It's great. Plus, we're going to give you $50 off by just going to our URL, which is casper.com slash DLC, and using the promo code DLC. So go to casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R, dot com slash dlc use that promo code dlc at checkout get yourself 50 bucks off and sleep more soundly have a better night's sleep it is time for the playlist and uh man so many great games to be playing paul you have been playing a lot of Zelda, I'm sure. Uh, what do you think? What, what, I read your review on Forbes, which was which was excellent. But uh, tell me what you've been doing lately. Are you still playing it? Have you finished it? Where, where are you at with uh, Breath of the Wild? So I've been kind of doing the simultaneous playthrough with uh, two of my other friends. And I, to me, I think that's kind of the part of the appeal to the game, where my, my friends and I have this big, long text chain where we're all refusing to Google any answers for anything, but we will ask each other for help. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I've, I probably did at least 50, 60 hours this past week, which is nuts. Um, but I'm at like 90-something shrines. Uh, I did three of the four main dungeons, the initial ones. And I knew I wasn't going to finish it uh, before I got my Mass Effect review copy, which just uh, showed up this weekend. So uh, I set it down yesterday, and I'm starting up Mass Effect today, which, which I can't talk about. But um, <laughs> And then I will get back to it and probably beat the entire rest of the game uh, in a week or so once I'm done with Mass Effect. So are you playing mostly uh, in handheld mode on Switch or on a big screen TV? Uh, what control mechanism do you prefer? Uh, I switch back and forth, uh, no pun intended. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's uh I'd, I'd say split between handheld and, and tv mode about 50 50 and i would play more in tv mode uh except one of the problems with the switch is that none of its controller options have a headphone jack uh, mm. and i have a wife who's in school and studying at home um and i i work from home so i play all my games on our tv here so i kind of need a headphone jack so when she's around i just switch over to handheld mode and, and play it that way and I, I don't mind handheld mode. It's fine. Uh, I don't like tabletop mode. I think it's too small and you have to sit kind of too far away and crunch yourself up awkwardly. Uh, but I, I really do like handheld mode. So that hasn't been too much of a problem. But I just wish there was a headphone jack. <laughs> well, this week I got the uh, I got the pro controller. Uh, which at $70 is highway robbery. Oh my God, it's crazy. It's unbelievable $70. that they have the gall to charge sixty nine ninety five for that controller. It's offensive. And yet I bought it because I'm an idiot. And I also, I'm going to tell you that I love it. Which, it's so good. It's so much better. It's so much better. It improves the game in every way. But for $70, that is just a crime. It is such a crime. But it's made me want to play much more on uh, on the big television. And I think it looks really good on the big TV. It really does. Um, Christian, are you playing with the Pro Controller? When I'm playing on the screen, I do. Um, you, know, you just think it's too expensive because you don't use Amiibo. It's that Amiibo support that puts the... <laughs> 
Are you getting your, you get your sweet uh, companions and uh, your Epona and all that stuff? No, I only have Toon Link, so I just get like my little box of meat or whatever. It's, uh... <laughs> box of meat. <laughs> whatever, whatever it drops in. Um, that is that is pretty sweet. A toy will get you a box of meat. I well, it's mean... great. Everything's perfectly portioned, and you, know, you can cook it at home. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do. The, it, it's it's too expensive and it's annoying, but. I kind of get why the button layout of the Joy-Cons is set up the way it is. Um, and it's the best portable handheld console in terms of having full controller button parity. But like, it's so silly and trivial, you'd think. But just the difference in having the layout of the pro controller going to the D-pad to change weapons or, you know, change your items or whatever. It's such such an easier reach to do on the pro controller than with the standard Joy-Con that that alone makes a world of difference. And while the Switch is comfortable enough to hold, you forget how unergonomic it is until you're sitting holding an actual controller and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 this is how I play this for five hours straight. Like, this is the setup. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference, unfortunately. I also had another sort of epiphany about Zelda this week. And, you know, uh, Paul, hearing you talk about, like, pushing through and, and how, how close you are, you're going to finish it up. I have had to divorce myself from the idea of progression in that game. I really have. In order to enjoy it, because as somebody who wants to play everything, feels the pressure to get through things, feels the pressure to, like... I, I want to have an opinion about the entire breadth of this game. No pun intended. Uh, and yes, it was Jeff. Let's be okay. honest. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, it's a wild thing to, to try to get through the breadth of this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, I, I definitely feel like most of the time when I sit down to a game, I need to, I need to have those hours mean something. I need to have the time that I'm putting into the game result in movement forward or I, I feel anxious. I feel a, a little frustrated in, oh my God, I wasted two hours just climbing to the top of this mountain. There was nothing there. I have had to completely just divorce myself from that feeling because I, I've started to think about playing Breath of the Wild like I think about playing Heroes of the Storm. I sit down and I'm just enjoying the mere process of it. There's nothing to do. There's no, another game of Heroes of the Storm isn't going to get me any closer to anything. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely trying to rank up, you know, put in my ranked games, but chances are I'm going to move up. I'm going to move down. I'm going to leave this process basically where I was before. I'm just going to have the A, pure joy of playing it and B, my own skill set is going to improve because I'm having daily practice at this. And I kind of feel like that's what Breath of the Wild is for me at this point. I have to not think about, yeah, maybe I'll sit down and do a couple of shrines. I'll find a couple of shrines or I'll go and, and unlock a tower's vision or whatever. And, and those are palpable things that I can do. But most of the time, I'm just following my curiosity and going, uh, what's over that ridge? Oh, cool. There's um, some gems that I can smack and, and get and sell later. There's, oh, oh my gosh, a really weird thing. What What's what's the deal with this weird thing? Oh, I'm going to do that weird thing and then get rewarded with a shrine that pops up out of the ground or something strange. I, I'm just following my curiosity. Well, what it's is a your game that on? really rewards you for following your curiosity because like, you can just be messing around doing anything and you can stumble upon something cool. Like There was this one area where there was a big what's it called a hinox 
And I'm like, all right, I'll kill this thing. And then when I killed him, he dropped one of those power orbs. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so this is a thing. And then it turns out that this was like this little mini shrine quest I'd never heard of where I had to kill these three giants and walk this you know, energy ball to these three pedestals. And that was just from me just going somewhere I hadn't been before. And yeah. it, it's a game that constantly surprises you. And it, it's interesting to compare to something like, I'd say like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which is another game I really, really liked a lot. But that game never really surprised you. Like it was, you, you know, you knew by the end, you knew all the monsters, you knew what combat was like, and you weren't going to like stumble across something that was just so cool. And like, it was still fun, but that wasn't really an aspect of the game. Whereas that is almost the entirety of Zelda and kind of the core of its appeal. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I, I've, I've said before that what I like most about Horizon is how tight an experience it is for an open world game. And what I like about Zelda is how loose it's an experience it is for an open world game. And if, if Zelda hadn't come out, I would, I would be saying Horizon is how every open world game should be. They've perfected the open world. It made, they did pacing right. They made everything feel cool and necessary and fun. And there's no filler. And, and then Zelda comes along. And it's like, Oh no, there's a completely different take on open world that involves just spreading things out and letting me just kind of, experience the world and play inside these systems and making it very loose and unpredictable. Christian, have you put more hours into Zelda this week too? I have. Um, I'm of several minds of it, having spent more time with it. I, I think I could still see an argument that it's one of the best games ever created. I think I might even still say it. Um, but I think, I, I think it's very smart as a Switch game. I think if it were not portable or not able to be played handheld like if i had it just for the wii u i think there's a greater chance i might have bounced off from it but the fact that i can take it with me or you know my girls are playing and i can just sit down on the couch and just you know play for 20 minutes or something like that makes the game much more appealing to me i also think the way that it doesn't have what i'll call and others i think have probably already said too like the ubisoft style map of once you go up into the tower, like everything that you can do unlocks, like all those little like pings, you know, all those little places you can go, do this, do that, do that, do that, like checklist type things. You still have to discover them. You have to climb up that mountain and see if something's there. I think that keeps me playing the game because while it is sometimes frustrating to spend all this time getting to a place only to find nothing, it it is to me feels um, less stressful than seeing this huge long list of stuff like, okay, I need to accomplish all these things. But the flip side of that coin is what you said, Jeff. It's climbing to the top of the mountain and finding nothing and having this feeling of like, well, cra- cra- what did I, Arr! like I was doing these, um, these quests uh, out of, out of one of the villages and kind of, you know, going along and doing all these little mini quests or whatever they, I don't even know what they are. Maybe they're main quests at some point. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where I am in the game. I've played a whole bunch of hours and I feel like I'm no closer to completing anything. And I go into battles and I feel under equipped and I'm just, I don't know if I'm playing the game right, which is fun sometimes, but other times I'm like, what's happening? So I was going through and doing these, these, what I'll call side missions. And, and one of them seemed very easy and very basic and I did it and then I f- completed it and I got a, a handsome reward and I was like, oh, sweet. That's a, a satisfying play experience. And I did this other one that felt pretty long. It wasn't as easy as the others. Um, and then I finished it. And I think I got like 20 rupees and I was like, are you kidding me? Well, that's, that's the other thing too. And that it, in the way that they have completely changed how loot happens in a Zelda game, you know, in, in a previous Zelda game, if you found a chest, there was some good stuff in that chest. Now, 
with Zelda, it's like, you did a whole thing. You unlocked, you climbed to the top of the thing. You found it. You exploded a wall. And oh my gosh, there was a chest in there. What has it got? It's got a broken, half broken thing that. A wood club. Yeah. No one cares about. It's like, well, oh, okay. I guess that's necessary because I need to have weapons because they're constantly breaking. But yeah, it's not, uh, it's not always going to be an awesome reward just because you discovered a chest. But also there's a billion chests everywhere. Yeah. Have you, have you done the thing where you take a picture of a chest and then you set that to your, uh, you know, your sonar? You know, you can set any item that you take a picture of to your sonar. Yeah. And you walk around and it, it there are chests everywhere. The, yeah. the sonar is constantly pinging. It's like chest near, chest near, chest near. I'm like, I got to turn this off because I can't spend my whole life looking for these stupid chests. It's yeah. crazy. It, it, I, yeah, it's, it's incredible and surprising. And in so many ways, and like Paul said, like the discovery is there. I'd imagine through all a hundred hours. Um, and, and there's so much, and it's fun to see when systems interact and oh, I can cut this down and light this on fire and do this or whatever. And the way the, the world builds on top of itself. But then there are times where I just don't, I, 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 I feel like I'm playing it wrong where it's like, I need, this is the thing the game's telling me to do next, but maybe it's cause I didn't clear out this village. So I didn't do every little side quest at this village that would open up this other thing. So now I'm trudging through like 10 hours of tundra with, out any warm clothes to keep me warm how many peppers can i cook to get to the thing then i get to the thing and it's like here's an easy uh battle shrine and i'm like easy not easy <laughs> I, i've used all of my wooden sticks that i had oh i guess i have to have a sword for this battle zelda fine um i'm exaggerating of course but it's it's really it's it's a beautiful but also i still think at times frustrating games whose criticisms i will constantly agree with even if i will still if i had to score the game you know put it in the very high 90s range um it's it's fascinating and i think a game that game design will be studying for years like paul if you had to level your biggest criticism for the game what would you be your biggest even if it's you know the dan trachtenberg good suck like what's the thing that that holds it back or zelda 2 will will fix uh, that's a good question. I think the the longer I've played, uh, the more it, it starts. Like I, I really like it, and I really do think it's kind of one of the all time greats. But some of the systems really kind of start to break down over time. Um, you you kind of your quest list is always this kind of weird thing where it's kind of nice to not be given like crazily specific objectives and like exact waypoints to get everything. But sometimes it goes like a little bit overboard in terms of being vague to the point of like just total frustration where you're just like have to give up a quest like for example i was doing a quest a side quest the other day uh where i was told like oh there's a bunch of you know moblins riding around on horses in this valley and you have to kill them and i could see the name of the valley but it's this huge area and the objective there's no objective marker the objective marker is on the quest giver because that's how it works <laughs> like 90 percent of the time for for whatever reason so you just kind of have to go yeah. out there frustrating i killed, I killed about eight or nine of these guys there's no there's no counter to like tell me if i've killed enough or like how many i'm supposed to kill and like <laughs> I, I killed everyone i could see and so i just kind of wander back and they're like well let me know when you take care of the problem i'm like well. <laughs> and then it's a, and then there's a blood moon and then they all come back again and it's like yeah. what? And, and like there's another quest that's on my list that's just it's literally like i talked to this girl in the village and it's like this girl was bored 
Like that's the quest. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what, what do I do with that? So like in a way it's, it's been nice because I kind of just haven't had to let some of these go. And like, eventually when I do start like Googling answers, I'll, I guess I'll get back to them, but that's how it, life is though. Paul, sometimes yeah. a girl is just bored. Sometimes you don't know how many moblins you need to murder before the, the townspeople are happy. That's just how life is. Nobody knows that 10 moblins is going to be the answer to the problem. It's just, they know there's still a problem with the moblins. Yeah. P.S. though, that girl wasn't bored. All these people are so horny. Have you guys, oh, is it just me? Sound effects. Yeah. And, and what they say, they're like, oh, you're cute. No, you I can stay it's... at my village for free. And I'm like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you're there's, just... there's a lot of that. Like yeah, all throughout the, the game. Yeah. Um, I ha- you, you mentioned Ubisoft, Christian, and you know we we saw last year that there was no the annual releases of Assassin's Creed. You know they took a year off and they're going to come back strong this year. Uh, uh, we surprising no one. I'm sure there will be a, a massive announcement at E3 of the next Assassin's Creed. I just have this vision of the offices <laughs> at at uh, you know uh, wherever wherever the. I guess Montreal, wherever the all, uh, all of them. You mean all yeah. over the world, right? Yeah, exactly. Where they all they got they got Zelda, and they're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> oh, we need to change some things <laughs> real quick. This new Assassin's Creed needs to, back to the drawing board. No, they just sent out an email to all of their dev teams, and they all hit Control A to select every little marker in it, and then just hit Delete, and then they ship the game like that. Um, also, I think this uh, is a good segue. We were talking about awesome moments. Um, we got a story of glory. Remember the stories of glories and tales of fails we used to do on the show? Um, Jordan sent this in. He's uh, bringing back stories of glories. Uh, he has a Zelda story of glory. And it's a game where, man, it's just built around creating stories of gro- glories and tales of fails. Uh, this comes from Jordan. He says, my first real boss fight, I didn't really prepare my equipment as well as I should have. But on my second or third try, I got the boss down to a sliver of health. Every single bow I brought with me was now broken. And I only had a single sword left. Even though I had plenty of food and hearts to spare, I was at a complete dead end since my weapons dwindled down to nothing. The boss was out of reach and I had almost nothing to hit him with. A last ditch idea struck me. I had a strength potion available, but knew that drinking it would cancel out my vital defense-increasing potion. Taking that risk was my only option. I drank the strength potion and equipped my final sword, a large, unwieldy lunk of a thing that wasn't as powerful as I'd like. I got as close as possible to the boss without getting hit. I locked on, held the R button, carefully aimed as best I could, and threw the sword through the air. It connected... The boss was dead. A last-ditch Hail Mary throw took off the final sliver of the boss's health. There were a hundred different ways this fight could have gone, countless strategies to exploit, now probably missing a bunch that I could have still done despite having nothing apparently available to me. But the way the systems multiply together enable the experiences in Breath of the Wild to to be uniquely my own. I love that Breath of the Wild allows you to fail by running out of weapons. It forces you to think on your toes, to think through preparations, and it rewards you for creativity. I think that says it very well. And I I, tell, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. I was going to tell my own tale of fail. Um, I'll try to be as dramatic as you were. So I set up to do this side quest and I talked to the NPC characters in the game and I suffered through the non-voice acting, but it was fine. Whatever. That's not a big deal. I'm not going to harp on that on this email. Anyway, love the show. First time listener. Uh (laughs) I love the show. First time listener. Long time caller. First time listener. Long time co-host. First time listener. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
as I engage, as, as I as I listened to the instructions from the NPC for this side quest, it seemed like a, a most epic side quest. I was excited to go on the voyage, but then I hearkened back to my memory and recollection of prior Zelda games, in which talking to the same NPC could yield different instructions. In fact, you could get more information the more times you talked to NPCs until it was no longer a riddle you were facing, but a simple fetch quest. So with this in mind, I went back to the same NPCs and I pressed A. Actually, the first time I pushed B because that Nintendo <laughs> controller still frustrates me. After back. Backing out of the conversation instead of having the conversation, I went back to those same NPCs, pressed A, and engaged in the conversation. Lo and behold, the conversation was different. I thought I was going to get new information, so when the option came up for me to reply, I had one of two choices. One was to end the conversation altogether, and the other was to confirm an action that I hadn't actually done, but that was my option to say that I did it. I selected this option, hoping I would gain new information from the NPC characters, at which point they said, you did it, congratulations. Then flashing up on the screen, it said, side quest completed, and I received nothing. I have no clue what happened. <laughs> All right. And I can't do it. But it that's just, not a tale of failure. You did it, man. You no, I didn't do anything. They probably had an item that they wanted that they were like telling you to get, but then you already just had it. <laughs> so you probably just like handed it to them. They didn't nothing they didn't take anything from me. Like that's I have weird. no clue what happened. It was so weird. It was so weird. It's like, like are life, you man. Sometimes the girl's just bored. <laughs> <laughs> She's not bored, Jeff, by the way. She's you, on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> You brought up uh, the voice acting thing, which we talked about at length last week. We got a lot of feedback about that. There's, there's an awesome thread in the subreddit, people debating back and forth about the voice acting. I can't wait to hear what Paul thinks about it, but I, I want to read this email that we got uh, from Michael. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, uh, hey, guys, I love the show from the beginning and before, but I want to take a moment to disagree with your position on the limited voice acting in Zelda Breath of the Wild. I think it is absolutely a stylistic choice that has merit. It has some drawbacks as well, but so does the alternative. I'll use Fallout 4 as a counterexample. <clears throat> I love the level of immersion the full voice acting brings, but the downside is that for mundane conversations like with a shopkeeper or someone I interact with frequently, I hear the same dialogue repeatedly and can and that can be more irritating than read it re- reading it repeatedly. In Zelda, I like that they include voice acting for important cutscenes, but also like that much of the in-game dialogue is still read rather than acted. It lets me put some of my own interpretations on a character, like the difference between reading a book or listening to it narrated, and that I can either fly through it as fast as I read it or pause to make mental note about whether what they are saying and whether or not I feel like I'm missing the pace of the dialogue. Zelda is a very stylized world, and I don't need every character to be painstakingly acted out. I like them as simple characters with simple needs. I also think it works especially well for a silent protagonist that you are seeing in third person during these brief conversations. Another stylistic choice I hope Zelda franchise keeps. Zelda could maybe have a little more voice dialogue, but overall, I still greatly enjoy reading a lot of it. Keep up the great work. What is your feeling on that, Paul? We, my contention was that it's a bit of a vestige of a bygone era, and it kind of holds Zelda back a little bit from being a completely modern game. What's your take on the voice acting? Oh, man, I think it's a complicated issue because if, if there was one aspect where like Zelda or Breath of the Wild is kind of lacking and, and indeed kind of a lot of Zelda games, it is kind of story and characters like you're not you're, you're on this epic quest to save the world, but you're not really that invested in each of these individual characters because they don't often don't talk or if they do, it's like a couple cutscenes. Um If they really wanted to go deep with it and like write this huge script and have it fully voice acted. I think that might help that aspect, but I guess you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is that really what Zelda is? And in in its current form in Breath of the Wild, I think 
it is kind of good that you, you know, just talking to every shopkeeper, you don't have to sit through their, <laughs> their dialogue or like just passes by in the street. Um, I, I think maybe the voice acting is a bit too limited because it is in some cutscenes, but then the cutscenes are just a minute long and then you will be, you know, continuing your conversation with King, whoever, and then suddenly he's not voice acting anymore. And it's weird. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, I do not think that, I think only bad things are going to happen if they ever try and give Link a voice, uh, which I am, I am all in favor of, of voice protagonists in pretty much every series. Zelda, I, uh, I don't think that's going to go well, no matter how you cut it. And like, I'm not even the biggest fan of <laughs> kind of Zelda's voice acting in, in Breath of the Wild. So I'm not sure if, if adding Link to that would be kind of a solution. As long as they get Gilbert Gottfried, Gilbert Gottfried as Link in That'd The Legend of Zelda. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this a lot this week, and I'm starting to think that maybe the problem isn't necessarily voice acting or not voice acting. It's the fact that we've all decided the convention in video games where you walk up to someone, you have a complete conversation with them standing in one spot as you both stand in one spot staring at each other. And I understand that's, you know, a video game is here's where the character lives. I'm going to walk up to that character and I'm going to start a conversation, but no human being does that. That is not how life works. It's not how any other visual medium presents a conversation. No one stands staring at each other face to face and has long drawn out conversations. And I don't understand why video games haven't figured out a way to make that more dynamic and more interesting. Why in role-playing games, Bioware games, for example, or you know Bethesda games, when I'm hearing the entire life story of a character, why are we just standing at and staring at each other? Why, even in Horizon Zero Dawn, why am I just as beautiful as that game is and as beautiful as the character models are and everything? I all at a certain point, I'm done staring at into the eyes of this. CG character or studying the lovely, you know, <laughs> wardrobe choices that they've made. Why can't there be a solution that makes dy- a more dynamic conversation? Why can't we figure out a way to do the Aaron Sorkin walk and talk in video games or something? Well, I mean, you mentioned Bioware and I think, you know, Bioware games are like more recently, you know, Final Fantasy 15. Their kind of solution to that is when you're out in a party you kind of had these conversations on the go right. where maybe they're not the most meaningful conversations in the world, but it's a way to kind of at least flush out the characters just as you're walking or like a mass effect, like the old mass effects. Like if you're walking through the Citadel and you know, your, your, your companion just comments on something um, in terms of why you can't do that with more characters that are kind of stationary. My, I mean, my guess would be, it's just kind of an animation problem because like as soon as you have to script a scene, you right. and an NPC are walking and, and talking that then that becomes a cutscene essentially sure and when you have you know 500 characters in a game that you have to talk to they're only going to be able to do that with kind of a handful of them so my guess is it's a time constraint and like I agree it's not it's not great and if I have to stare like dead-eyed into the face of <laughs> one more Bethesda character like I'm gonna lose it but yeah there are some kind of mini solutions that they're trying maybe a little bit well, in the chat room, uh, could 432 brings up the fact that Rockstar does this really well. They eschew that um, um, almost completely. And I, I think that's right. And they, the solution is generally what you're talking about, Paul, which is like all of their dialogue scenes are either cutscenes 
or full cutscenes, or you're in a car and we're talking back and forth on your way somewhere. Um, and I think that's that's an interesting perspective. I, it's very true that Rockstar doesn't really have the like stand there and stare at someone for a while. Um, so kudos to them, I suppose. Christian, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Paul said. I think it is unfortunate and it's a thing that we kind of say, yeah, but video games, like we give it a pass and hopefully we'll see less of it as the, the medium continues to evolve and the tech grows. I mean, I think that might be part of the reason why I, I still am drawn to the linear narrative games that they don't suffer from that as much. You know, Joel and Ellie rarely are standing looking at each other going over shoulder, over shoulder, wide to over shoulder, over shoulder, like they're doing stuff, but they can do that because they can have those conversation be bridges between areas whereas a lot of these games like mass effect um zelda or you know horizon zero dawn where you're at like a hub area you're at a village you're getting these side missions you know what are you going to do with that the way that game is structured like here's the thing then you got to the world to bring back to this thing like your walk and talk would be like hey let me tell you my life story and while we do it we'll walk this tight circle around my home. You know, again, that, but again, it's a problem of, of video game design where um, <laughs> all of these things are coming together where games are, I think you said maybe last week how, um, oh no, it was on slash film. All of your media that I listen to, Jeff, I get, it's all one thing. And sometimes I think they're conversations we have. Maybe this was uh, <laughs> the the idea that comics have moved, you know, in the eighties or nineties comics were like, Hey, we're not just this anymore. We can tell real stories with these characters and, and video games are very much in that now, but they're also still video games. So they suffer from video gamey problems. Horizon zero dawn is an incredible game with an incredible narrative and an awesome open world um, combat style of gameplay. But at the same time I can crouch in a, uh, tall reeds of red grass and go and kill a guy and then one guy is like hey body over here <laughs> yeah. kill a guy oh two bodies over here. <laughs> yeah. and they yeah. don't alert anyone and yeah. like, that game has taught me that if in real life i'm ever out in the nature and i hear a whistle and don't see where it's coming from walk the opposite direction <laughs> like yeah. never walk toward the whistle or uh i think i'll talk about it a little more later this show near automata um, it, it's a platinum games developed thing. And it very much has that thing of, and God of war suffered from this too, where it's like, you're in this awesome expanse. You're trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And so I can, Oh, I can make that jump. I have this double jump. I have this guy that can help me here. I go run, jump, just kidding. Invisible wall. Like you can't, you can't go that way. We're not going to let you fall down that way. Yeah. But video games, by the way, go this way. And so all of this stuff hopefully will get fixed, but I think we forgive it because it's so much better today than it was even just five years ago yeah i think that's probably a good time to transition into near i want to hear you talk about it um i you gave me several texts this week saying oh my gosh jeff you would dig this game but uh too much to play christian there's too much to play i there really is so i'm i may be five hours into it if you know nothing about it it's square enix um rp action rpg platinum games developed and it's if if you are bummed on the recent platinum games the licensed games ninja turtles and transformers but you love bayonetta or bayonetta 2 holy moly this game is for you like it's Remember how when we talked about Gravity Rush 2 and I complained that it was Japanese in a way that I don't like, that was just like, 
what's it's like wah, 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 and i was like what is happening it's like random and weird like this is jap very again i'm i'm being reductive here but very that traditionally japanese developed style of video game um but in the style of things that i enjoy some of the stuff i still kind of cringe at like when you're running as your character like you're constantly peeking at her butt like her skirt just doesn't cover it it's like yeah. constant like a, an upskirt tease and i'm just like i have a i have I got a family. I can't play this game. Uh, even if, you know, I have headphones on, so I don't hear what it's just like, that's, it's just, you're playing peekaboo. What it's, it's odd. Um, but the combat, that classic platinum combat, the, the light and heavy two button with a button to evade slash also if timed perfectly is allows you to unleash your, your, your flurry of your, your counter. Um, it's so smooth and it's so good. And it's, you know, it's that, that team ninja style that started and then platinum evolved of just the the visceral awesome action combat but now this game with square enix is i'm assuming guidance gets the open world rpg treatment that a lot of the platinum games haven't had done well before and it does it very well it's it's traditional in the sense that you go to a village and you get main quests and side quests and you go out and execute them and and do whatever but then when you're going out on these missions in this open world you're doing that awesome platinum combat so it's like yeah okay this is really fun and engaging open world combat versus uh, for me in Breath of the Wild, I oftentimes run by it because I'm like, it's fine, but I don't want to break this weapon. This is like, oh yeah, game on. Here's this combo. I'm going to get these points. I'm going to upgrade my guy. Uh, everything's constantly leveling up the way those games do. But then it has a full RPG, you know, bring pieces back to your base to further upgrade your weapons and do things. And I'm maybe a third or halfway through my first playthrough of the game, I'm guessing. Um, but it has multiple endings. So you get like all the endings like the best endings you kind of need to complete it three specific ways um i'm never gonna do that i just don't i can't i don't see how it's gonna happen but it is it is so cool the story it's telling is is really neat where it's this world of you know humans humanity no longer exists but you're playing as an android but you're competing against these robots uh every all of these open world games right now are you know futuristic societies that have had uh, machines go awry right it's like yeah which one am I playing again? Uh, but it's it's somebody, told in a, somebody you, I heard this week referred to Breath of the Wild as post-apocalyptic Hyrule, which yeah. is totally accurate. And I never thought of it that way, but it's totally true. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no problem. Um, it's it's just so it's so cool to see great platinum again. Like I love Bayonetta and Bayonetta two, and now to have this game come out and do all of that quirky platinum, you know, Eastern developed style gameplay and do it so well again, and then add in if you want and you have the time. And it, I wish it didn't come out in March. All of the deeper traditional RPG systems is really really cool. And the last thing I'll say about it is. It doesn't autosave and it tells you, and it's hard. I'm playing on normal. Um, my gaming background, like games like Ninja Gaiden are fairly easy for me. I'm pretty good at that style of action combat. This game will kick your butt and it, it's supposed to, and it tells you again and again, like, Hey, we don't autosave. You, you, <laughs> you got to find a save point. And it tells you when you start up the game, it says, this game does not autosave. Play the game to figure out how to save. And when I saw that, I like, you know, figuratively cracked my knuckles and i was like all right platinum game on <laughs> let's do this let's see what you got and then 
the for my first hour, uh, I got to the first boss battle. I had not learned how to save. I died, and I was like, "Well, that's no problem. I'm in a boss battle. I'll start the boss over again." The game was like, "Nope, you'll start the whole game over again." And I was like, "Platinum, one 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 win for you on that. <laughs> I accept your challenge." Um, but I, I'm not saying play it now because I know people like it's not a new IP, but it's not Mass Effect, it's not Zelda, but plant a flag in it. Go in, you know, click R3, zoom in on the shrine, mark it, and, and come back to near if you're looking for something to play later. Or now, it, it's it's fantastic. Wow. I gotta have to come back to that one. Um, Paul, anything else on your playlist that you've been playing other than Zelda, or you just, you know, 60 hours is, is what you've been doing? Uh, I played about 20 minutes of Ghost Recon Wildlands before my Switch showed up. <laughs> and then I literally switched over. Yeah, um, it's been mostly Zelda. I I play Hearthstone pretty consistently. Um, it's just kind of my go-to uh, when when there's nothing else going on. Um, yeah, other than that, and now I'm starting at Mass Effects like just today. Yeah. So I you kind of sold me on Near. Uh, that sounds pretty incredible. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting that. In, I don't know four months or something. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I had another distraction, another game I think, unfortunately, coming out at this time, probably going to be overlooked by a lot of people. But it's a really, really worthwhile diversion from the big, big hitters. Uh, it's called Loot Rascals, and it just came out on PlayStation 4 and PC. I'm playing it on PC. It's a delight. It is everything I love. I mean, it's kind of got tabletop um, aesthetics. It's a card-based combat system, card-based loot system. And a turn-based movement system. You're on a hexagonal grid, and uh, you can move around freely. When you push the stick, your little dude can walk around freely without clicking a new turn because it is turn. All everything's turn-based. But as soon as you like cross the border of the hex into another te- hex, that's when the turn turns. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of a cool little innovation that it's like you, it's not. It doesn't feel so static as a turn-based game because you're able to move and everything. And then once you you know you slide past that demarcation line. Now you've started a new turn. Anyway, the whole aesthetic of the game is, is great. If you guys haven't seen loot rascals before now, it's got this sort of adult swim animated vibe and really fun voice acting and a really wild over the top, wacky kind of creatures and monsters and stuff. And uh, what you're doing, you, you crash land on this alien planet, you and your Scottish AI buddy, and you have to try to uh, eliminate the monsters. And as you eliminate them, you get new loot. The loot comes in the form of cards that you add to your tableau. You have a deck of cards that you can place into a tableau. You've got a, a top line of cards and a bottom line of cards that constitute your inventory. And you can have cards that boost your attack and boost your defense. And then also cards that do certain special things, special attacks or special you know, rule-breaking things. Uh, and where you place them in that tableau often will have impact on their effectiveness. So if c- certain cards will work better if they're on the top row or the bottom row or in a even-numbered slot or an odd-numbered slot or adjacent to another type of card. So there's strategy in laying out the, your cards in your deck and which ones you use and how much attack versus how much defense. And then as you're playing uh, on the on the hexagonal grid, there's a day and night cycle. So five turns for day, five turns for night. And the creatures will either attack you first or you will attack them first. And that will, uh, that will oscillate between day and night. So a creature that attacks you first during the day 
you will attack first at night. So some, so you only want to attack the creatures in the state that is most advantageous to you because you can get all your attacks off before they and kill them before they even attack you. So it's got this like Pac-Man kind of thing where you're, you know, they're moving and you're moving. You're trying to anticipate where they're going to move so that you can either head them off at the pass to initiate an attack or avoid them until it turns from night to day to then initiate the attack. So it's kind of it's it's a fun little like cat and mouse thing where you're you know, wandering around this map and there's movement happening with all the creatures and you're trying to figure out which ones you want to hit and which ones you don't. And getting all the loot is delightful because they drop loot and you can get cards that like overlay on other cards and create cool compound effects. It's awesome. It's a, it's a quick little diversion game that I could see myself putting many, many hours into if there weren't these gigantic games uh, requesting all of my attention, but, uh, but man, this game would be so great on a, on switch. It would be so perfect on a portable system like that. I would play it way, way more. I mean, it reminds me of, of, um, rogue legacy or something like that. Uh, in that sense. I mean, it is a roguelike you're, you're trying to see how long you can last before you die and you can die pretty quickly. Cause you start with only five hit points. Um, Hey, man, it's a great, great game that unfortunately I think a lot of people are going to overlook because there's so many big triple a games coming out. But do not miss Loot Rascals if any of the stuff I've said sounds interesting because it's really fun and well-made. Uh, Christian, you want to mention 1-2-Switch real quick or no? Oh, yeah. Also, I forgot to mention it up top. I apologize. This episode, there's bonus content. Oh, I interviewed yeah. the uh, composers of Halo Wars 2, and it's uh, really, really cool. Really cool chat of kind of what went into it. And I love the the score and the music for Halo Wars 2. I think it's so strong, especially while you're playing, but also the stuff that un- that goes underneath the, the blur cinematics. And they kind of talked about the difference between that and um, really, really cool chats at the end of this episode. So please uh, listen to that. Stay tuned for that. Um, my review of one, two switch is it one, two sucks. It's not good. All right. It's not. <laughs> I played for 10, 15 minutes with my wife and we giggled some because of the forced eye contact. And then we said at the same time, we're like, yeah, I'm done. I don't buy it. I guess would be my, it's fine. It's fine. You know what it is. Yeah. And, Fair enough. Uh, we don't have fun. to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. It's not 50 no. bucks worth. No, 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 no. Um, oh, I'll skip uh, VR talk today. Although I did uh, try out the watching 3D Blu-rays in PSVR, uh, which works surprisingly well. It's it's really good, and I'm still playing a lot of Robo Recall. Um, you can listen to NLB, uh, newest latest best on Anchor, if you want to hear me talk more about that stuff. Um, I do want to get to quick questions because those are a big hit. People are loving them and sending them in. But I need to thank our second sponsor, which is Fireside. If you are a podcaster or have aspirations to become a podcaster, you really should know about Fireside because Fireside is a podcast hosting and analytics platform that was created by podcasters for podcasters. The guy who created this network, the 5x5 network, his name is Dan Benjamin. He's been podcasting since 2009, and he took everything he learned in those years of podcasting and created Fireside. Fireside has everything you would want, unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, Massive amounts of real-time data and analytics to uh, tell you about your unique downloads and a super fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support. So if you want to do multiple shows, it's got your back free one click podcast importing. So if you're already doing shows on platforms like Libsyn, Feedpress, Simplecast and SoundCloud, one click brings them into Fireside, custom domain mapping, a beautiful responsive website with all your own artwork 
host and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, time code linking, and so much more. Also, you can try Fireside for free for seven days, during which time you can import your existing podcasts for free while taking advantage of every feature that Fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan starts at just $19 a month, and there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. So try it today. Fireside.fm slash DLC is where you can go to take a tour. And if you use the promo code DLC, you get 20% off the standard plan for three months. So if you've ever dreamed about becoming a podcaster, it could not be easier. Go to fireside.fm slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC. You get 20% off. Fireside by podcasters for podcasters. All right. Now it's time for quick questions. Quick, 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 quick questions. Quick, 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 questions. You can always send your quick questions to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. There's also a sticky thread on our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Quick question, guys. This comes from Dan from St. Louis, Missouri, normal or inverted? Paul? Normal. Me too. I think inverted people are weird and <laughs> should be shunned. Christian? Uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm inverted. Old. I, I know that you're older than me, Jeff. Um, I don't, I feel like that used to be the default and I just kind of learned no, that way. And it's never back. the default. On if console. You flight simulators, it was the default. No, like on GoldenEye. Oh, I feel like it was. You're weird. I am shunned. weird. Uh, but you're a lefty. You have a left-handed mouse, you freak. I am a left-handed. Yeah, I'm a freak. Quick question. This comes from Andrew. He says, if you had to pick one PlayStation-only game for a first-time PlayStation owner to play that isn't Uncharted or The Last of Us, what would it be? PS4? I can start. Yeah, PS4. Okay. I, if if uh, I can start, I will say... Uh, um, Horizon Zero Dawn? Well, Horizon Zero Dawn's an easy one, I guess. But I was going to say... Um, Infamous, Second Son. Okay. What about you, Paul? That's a good one. I was going to say Horizon Zero Dawn because I guess that's the easy one. But, it's, I mean... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's open It's open world, and it's the best you can do in open world these days, except Zelda. So I definitely would recommend it. Christian? Uh, the Uncharted Collection, I think. It's a really good... Um, it's no, not a, you said... That isn't Uncharted or The Last of it's Us. It's not. It's all of the Uncharted. If this is if this is PlayStation Four only, um, I'd probably say PlayStation All Stars, just to give you a taste of all of. Them. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God, no. You're the worst. Uh, um, definitely not. If this is if this is, I, I think I still might say it, even though it's not the best um, version of it. Or it's a good version, but it's weird because it's a third. But God of War three, if it's PlayStation only, um, I would say uh, if it's PlayStation in general, I would say God of War. Um, if it's PlayStation four, I still might say God of War three because that's such a strong franchise in the in the console history. All right. Well, also, so you're you're terrible at this question. <laughs> that's on. a good answer. God of War three was <laughs> Last of Us. You're the one that said PlayStation four. His question doesn't say it. Last of Us was PlayStation three. All right. Well, if he's a new PlayStation owner, he didn't go out and buy a PS2. If you had to pick one PlayStation <laughs> only game for the first for a first time PlayStation right. owner. All right. Quick question. This one comes from Brent. He says, "Will there be a Switch XL? When, Paul? I think there will be a Switch XS. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they're I think they're going to do a, a handheld only version at some point. Mm. Um, that's my to prediction. Replace the, the 3DS. That's the idea." 
yeah, I mean, I just wrote a thing about this today. Like, the Switch is replacing the 3DS. Like, they're not saying that, and, like, everyone's dancing around that. But, like, if you've used a Switch, you can tell it's, like, kind of the next handheld, in my opinion. I so agree. I, I think they're going to separate it out from the dock and sell it a little cheaper. They may do an XL as well. Um, I don't really think it needs to get much bigger <laughs> if it wants to stay portable. So maybe that's not the best idea. I think there will be a Switch XL, but it won't be a physically larger. It will be a hard drive larger. Oh, okay. I think the Switch XL is going to be, it's going to have like a, you know, it'll bump up to a 250 gigabyte hard drive, which is still way too small, <laughs> but uh, at least, you know, use, usable. Um and I think that'll happen relatively soon. I think we're going to see that in like a year, year and a half. Christian, what do you think? Switch XL? There's going to be a Switch redesign, a Switch Slim, Switch 2.0, whatever they want to call it. I don't think it'll necessarily get get bigger. Um, but I, I agree with you, Jeff, that I think we could see this revision within a year, a year and a half for sure. Quick question. This is from Monkey Mind in the, cha- in the uh, um, subreddit. Quick question. The devil has challenged you to a 1v1 gaming battle for your soul, as he does. You can choose any game to play against him and hopefully save yourself. Which, what's your pick? Which game do you have the most skills at? Paul? Uh, Super Smash Brothers 64, Kirby only. <laughs> Kirby only. I like the stipulation. Yeah. Christian, how about you? NFL Blitz 2000 on the Dreamcast. Um, Boy, see, I would... Probably, I would want to say Heroes of the Storm, but now I need four people to defend my soul with me because there's no one-on-one, 1v1. So it says a 1v1 gaming battle. I'm probably going to have to do OG Street Fighter 2. Okay. Yeah. But I really would rather I do mean, Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> just just for the record, um, while we did a, a best out of three, or no, best out of five, I think it was, and you you won three of those. I mean, I'm not the devil, but I I beat you in Street Fighter 2. Well, but I you, you beat me one game out of... Right, but I'm I'm not claiming it to be my best one view. I'm I'm just saying. Let's, the play, Heroes the, let's play Heroes of the Storm, Christian. You I'd me. love to. I'll be on your team. <laughs> uh, all right. That has been Quick Questions. And that is going to wrap up our show. Uh, I know that uh, those people who have been missing tabletop time... Uh, I hear you. I've gotten lots of your emails and tweets. Please give uh, a chance to uh, newest, latest, best. When we have, uh, you know, we, have, we will continue to talk about board games on the show. I promise, but it's going to be much less often because now there's another outlet for that. So check out newest, latest, best on Anchor. Um, today's episode Monday is all about uh, board games. So um, I, I I hear you, but I got your back. Don't don't you guys worry. All right, that's it for this episode. Um, we do have a parting gift coming up. And as Christian mentioned, there is bonus content, which is really, really cool. You should check out. Uh, but Paul Tassi, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, where can people follow your writings and internet personality uh, online? I'm uh, just at Paul Tassi on Twitter. And my Forbes site is just Forbes.com slash site slash insert coin. It's my my column page. Very cool. Uh, it's good stuff there, man. In, in fact, Christian, I would highly recommend, um, based on some of your frustration that you have mentioned with Zelda, I highly recommend reading his article about the two skills in Zelda that break the game. <laughs> it's really good. It's a good article. Um, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? 
Well, there are new marriages sketches on my YouTube, which is again Christian Spicer seven one three. They have their own dedicated playlist too, where you can see the old, the four originals and the three new ones. So you can check those out. I do a parenting podcast called Department of Parenting, and spoiler: this week's uh, the show drops on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, my wife guests with Chris Quintos and I for, for both of them. I think it might be her first podcast appearance. So there's that. And, uh, then I do, uh, another geek centric show called at least 20 more minutes, which you can find at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. Last week's episode was my switch review kind of. I guess I should call it a review in progress because that's what everything is now these days. <laughs> um, and uh, I did a Logan spoiler-free review. I'm going to do – Jeff, I want you and I to talk Logan because I, li- I did listen to that Slash Film cast review. And while I, too, really liked the film, um, I think you and I would have a, a interesting talk, whereas on Slash Film cast – I th- they were like, are you done? And you were like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Are you saying that you would disagree with me or you would agree with me? I think I would agree with you. And I think we oh. could find though, by through our agreement of not liking certain aspects, I think we might come out liking it more, if that makes sense. I um, I got a phone call from Brian Brushwood, who was like, I need to talk to you about why you're wrong about Logan. Um, so a lot of people are, uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, I think I think you're right. Well, um, I appreciate that. That's very very rare. In fact, I may have to pull out that soundbite and use it later. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Only in this one specific instance. Uh, <laughs> and then Twitter's the easiest way to get in touch with me. It is at Spicer. Um, oh, my album still exists. We're all gonna die. iTunes, Amazon, Google. People seem to love it, so you can uh, you can buy that. I have several other shows for you to listen to, uh, the aforementioned uh, Slash Filmcast, where we did review Logan. In fact, uh, we also put out our review of um, Kong Skull Island a little early, which has more discussion of Logan in the After Dark uh, episode, uh, part of the episode. So check that out at SlashFilmcast.com, and I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which uh, you can find at WeHaveConcerns.com. Uh, I guested on Kind of Funny uh, this, well, it wasn't this week. It was, it's coming out this week. It was during GDC. I guess, um, they're having a bunch of crazy stuff. Colin quit this morning. So, um, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I promise uh, a lot of people, huh? a lot of people are blaming me in a weird way. Uh, if you want, look at their, their <laughs> YouTube, it's all discussion of, of that. And, uh, so when do I you start? start? Yeah, I wish. No, <laughs> no. I wish that'd be great. I would uh, make some money, but <laughs> um, uh, no. Um, but anyway, you can watch those. It's really fun. I was on the Game Over Greggy show, so we weren't really talking video games. We were talking all kinds of life stuff. We talked about being a dad, and and it's good. It's good stuff. Also, I've been mentioning the Anchor show I'm doing, newest, latest, best, every single day. They only exist for 24 hours. Uh, that has been a bit of a frustration for some people, um, and I'm thinking about perhaps compi- compiling. Um, com- compiling. That's combine and compile made into one word, um, which is what you do when you combine and compile things. <sighs> I'm thinking of putting them all out uh, as at the end of the week. So if there's demand for that, let me know. Uh, I can make that happen, and we will we will move forward on that. But right now, 24 hours to listen to them on the Anchor app. Uh, there's call-ins and really cool way to interact. So check that out over at anchor.fm. And that's going to be it. We're going to move on now to wrap the show up with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. 
Oh, Paul, do you have a suggestion that might not be a video game to get people through their week? Sure. Uh, I highly suggest anyone who likes video games uh, give Lucha Underground a shot if they haven't already. It's yeah. a uh, Mexican professional wrestling show that is the closest thing we'll ever get to like a real-life fighting game because of how ridiculous it is. But it's pretty awesome, actually. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, pretty wild, over-the-top, one wonderful costuming, wonderful athleticism. Good stuff. Christian, how about you? What is your parting gift? I started watching the the Mick on Fox. Um, I'll, you know, I went into it like, oh, I guess I, I need to stay abreast with current sitcoms for you know my writing. Uh, and then I found myself really, really enjoying it. So I think it's easy to kind of shrug off a network sitcom for a lot of people, um, especially when there's so much good stuff on HBO or Netflix or FX, AMC. There's so many things demanding for our time, but. Um, it's, it's good. It's definitely a sitcom, but it's enjoyable and it's, it's, uh, it has its heartfelt moments as well, as long with its dumb, you know, ridiculous sitcom pieces, but I've been enjoying it. This is the one uh, with, uh, what's her name from it's always sunny, right? Yes. 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 Yeah, yes. Love her. She's great. Although I can't remember her name. Uh, I have another television show to recommend. Uh, it's called Apple tree yard. Uh, it's a BBC show, uh, only four episodes. Oh man. My wife and I, we're hooked on this thing. It, it is uh, amazing. Emily Watson. It is uh, dark and uh, very uh, heavy. Heavy is the word I'm looking for. But also very, very good. It's a um, a woman in a marriage kind of starts an affair and crazy things happen from there. But it is so honest. Her performance is absolutely staggering. Highly, highly recommend this based on a novel. Apple Tree Yard. See if you can find it. It's pretty great. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to uh, Paul Tassi and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room that were hanging out with us and making the show better in real time. Thanks to our music contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. Thanks to all of you for downloading this episode and listening to it. We appreciate your kind reviews on your platform of choice, and we appreciate you sharing this with your friend. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this bonus content of DLC. I am super excited to be having this discussion. One, because uh, I'm a big fan of their work. And two, I know nothing about it. I don't know how it's done. (laughs) I could never imagine doing it. So I feel like I'm going to get smarter today. Uh, I am joined by Gordy Hobb. Hello. Hi there. How's it going? Brian Lee White. Hello. Hey. And Brian Trifon, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. How are how are you guys? Doing great. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Um, if if we could, could you guys each say your name and then your title, so I can get it as directly and clearly as possible, and I don't need to make something up like composer, conductor, an instrumenter, like who you are, what your what your business card would say, and then what you do. Gordy, we'll start with you. Sure. My name is Gordy Hab, and I'm a composer and orchestrator. Cool. Brian, uh, Mr. White. <laughs> Hi, I am uh, Brian Lee White. I am a composer, a producer, and a cat wrangler. 
<laughs> Great. Uh, Mr. Trifon. Uh, yes, I'm Brian Trifon. I'm a composer and musical sound designer. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, question one. Do you guys play video games? Gordy, we'll start with you. Yeah, I do. Um, but I'm actually kind of really into the old games. I still even have my old game systems. And you know, I actually like sport games probably more than anything. But um, yeah, I definitely play. So you're like uh, Sega Genesis, NHL 94, you and Kevin Smith going going to the boards? Exactly. I actually still have my Sega Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I ever actually use it, but you know, I, I like playing sport games. I like going to Madden and yeah, yeah, cool. White, what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I really like, I played a lot of video games in the 80s and 90s, so I, I like a lot of those classic games too. Now, the games I'm into, I'm really into like ambient games, so like uh, uh, Inside, um, you know, anything that's kind of got like a mood, like walking simulators, like uh, I really liked... Um, Firewatch uh, that came sure. out last year, so stuff like that. I'm I'm more into than like the shooters, just kind of stuff I can kind of uh, decompress with and, and chill out and kind of just explore. Yeah, of course. Uh, Trifon, what about you? Yeah, so I I play games. I stay up on the current games, but uh, similar to Gordy, I think my favorites are sort sort of retro gaming. I, I have one of those like retro pie. Uh, like mm-hmm. emulator machines that has like all the Super Nintendo, all the Genesis, all the like Neo Geo and arcade games. So it's that's kind of that's my jam is like playing some some old old uh, old Nintendo games and and old arcade games and things like that. Awesome, yeah. So if, for people that don't know your work, I mean, you guys have quite an extensive. Uh, resume of work in the video game space gordy you wrote music for halo wars 2 all of you guys worked on halo wars 2 you also did star wars battlefront the old republic walking dead survival instinct to name to name a few uh brian's you guys worked on master chief collection double finds massive chalice and tilt brush right for the htc vive and 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 google um holy crap one two Talk about working under pressure. You guys are working on games and franchises that have defined music and, and, and score and atmosphere and tone over the years and, and things that I think any quote-unquote gamer could hum instinctively. And now here you are tasked with working on Halo Wars 2, which everyone knows Halo's score, right? That right. the credits come up, Halo starts. So you need to be true to that but it's a new game. You're not just taking old work and control C, control V, wipe your hands, get paycheck, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, when you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean I think like when I actually one of the main reasons I was brought onto this project was because of my experience working with you know a lot of the Star Wars video games and already having lived in a world where you have to step up to an existing franchise and, and still deliver you know, live within an existing sound and, you know, please a ton of fans that already exist. So, you know, coming on to Halo, it was, you know, a big part of it, I think, was, oh, okay, you know, Gordy has delivered on these Star Wars games and, and not, you know, made any fans too mad. So, <laughs> go on this, you know. 
So what was that like then coming into going from Star Wars going to Halo? How was it different in terms of trying to be true to those fans or into that tone and atmosphere, but also knowing that it isn't it's its own thing? I mean, Gordy, what challenges did Halo bring that that maybe Star Wars didn't or were they very similar in in, in their structure? Well, I mean, it's, it's twofold. I mean, I guess that the pleasing the fans and, you know, dealing with the, the high expectations and the pressure is the same. You know, I mean, musically and aesthetically, they're very different. Um, you know, but with Halo, actually, I feel like I had maybe even a bit more freedom to sort of inject my own aesthetic musically. And uh, you know, the, the Halo music universe is is well known, but it's also pretty diverse. And so I, you know, I had sort of an opportunity there to put my own musical stamp on things. You know, versus Star Wars, where you know, if it doesn't sound like john williams wrote it then then somebody's upset (laughs) right and then and then trifon if i if i have your background correct i mean you were into guitar in a big way metal uh (laughs) and then now you're a composer working with orchestras but also i mean do you let your hair down so to speak like are you bringing rock into these classic franchises or are you trying to pave your own way and and bring that background with it or am i just totally wrong no, no, I mean, so, you know, your roots are always with you in some form or another, and you always carry that, but but not necessarily in a literal way where, you know, I don't need to inject heavy metal guitars into everything. Actually, I think most of the time it's not appropriate. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I and, and plus, like, a, in addition to, like, growing up loving heavy metal and being a rock guy, I also have a long background in a career in electronic music. Uh, so it's kind of bringing all those things together. Um, and, but it's always in the context of what is appropriate for the project. So Halo Wars 2, you know, as you're mentioning, it's part of the Halo franchise. There's like a certain sound that was established with past Halo games. And, you know, we all wanted to pay respect to that and incorporate some of that and then bring in new elements as well. Um, and I think with Halo Wars 2, um, you know, I wanted to like bring sort of the, some of the textural elements that, that, uh, both Brian White and I had, had brought to, um, the anniversaries, like in the Master Chief collection, um, like Halo 2 anniversary. So the texture elements, but, you know, we wanted a more sophisticated orchestral palette and that's why we're like, okay, Gordy is the guy. Um, and that's what really, I think helped separate it was, uh, from past Halo projects is the level of sophistication with the orchestra. And we also went in some weirder directions with the like textural and ambient music as well. Yeah, it is an incredible, incredible score. Um, when I was playing the game, I streamed a little bit of it and then have, have played more since. And it gets you so revved up for something. Um, White, if I could ask, like when you guys are scoring or writing this music or the ambient noise for what is a, a an RTS video game, how do you balance that like where I'm going to get your blood pumping, you're going to go kick some butt because that's what you're doing. But at the end of the day, the way you're playing the game is moving a little cursor around and clicking A and X a whole bunch. And you're not like in the trenches you know, jackboot kicking people and shooting them in their face. It's, it's, it's a strategy game, but it still has that let's go get them atmosphere. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so we, we talked before we even started writing cues, we 
we worked on sort of the interactive design and how the music was going to respond to the gameplay so that, uh, you know, it, it, it helped kind of push you through the RTS. So when you're kind of base building and things like that, you're going to hear more mellow kind of ambient cues that um, don't have a lot of melodic content. So you don't get too bored because you could kind of be spending a while building your base. And that's going to dynamically ramp up as you get into some skirmishes and things like that. Uh, we actually have color codes for these cues that we build for each map. And so there's really sort of four um, sort of base cues uh, you have a green, a yellow, a red, and a super red, and those correspond to uh, the intensity of the battle that you're experiencing. And so the Wise Engine, uh, through various scripting and things like that, um, or you know, kind of real-time player controls that are coming back into the, the uh, middleware, will essentially pick what cue you're hearing and how you're hearing it uh, in terms of submixing it. Uh, and so that can really kind of uh, help you feel uh, the right way at the right moment of battle. And so there's even um, kind of intelligent scripting for the super red cues where it kicks that in only sort of towards the end. And those are the most thematic, epic. Those are the ones that are really, you know, kind of make you want to take that last, you know, push into the end of the battle. Yeah, because it's it's such a dynamic. I mean, video games in general are more dynamic than um, TV or, or movies in the sense that there's player control. But in something like an RTS, when I can zoom all the way out or instantly jump back to my base, like I can be in a firefight, you know, going to town against a, a wave of enemies, and then realize I need to base build, and in a second pop back, and I can't. When you're composing music for it or having the the cues set up, it can't be like like it all needs to blend and make sense and what i'm doing cannot make any sense right <laughs> like, sure, like as sure. the player i can be running around with the, uh, like a chicken with its head cut off and in your your guys's job is to make that sound beautiful i i don't i don't know how you is it just scripting and hoping that it all blends together or are you play testing this what's that process yeah so a lot of it is is actually i mean a lot of what you're describing are challenges that are, are dealt with in the implementation um and so the audio programmers and the, and the audio implementers um uh, at creative assembly you know they did a lot of tuning to kind of uh work with these uh different sort of emotional intensities that we built in different submixes uh, to get that to kind of balance through play testing. So for example, if you, like you said, you're in the middle of this huge battle and then you scroll back over to your base real quick to see, see what's going on, you know, there's going to be rules about, you know, cool down and things like that. And in, in terms of like, so you're not just hearing this like radio switching, uh, like instantly. So, um, and the cues are actually built in modular ways so that we can trigger endings and things like that. So we have exits that it can kind of end a cue, or kind of tie a bow around it uh, if you need to get down to a lower level. Um, but yeah, there's just it's a lot of, of, of sort of thinking about how to make things modular compositionally uh, and, and how do we build the assets so that you can kind of uh, really go hard on them in implementation. But then it is a lot of, of just clever work by the audio programmers and, and the implementers 
uh, with a lot of play testing to kind of get it balanced uh, in actual gameplay. Yeah, uh, that's it. Crazy, <laughs> um, Gordy. Between, I'll start with you, and if if uh, wider Trifon, if you guys can chime in too, that'd be awesome. But when you're scoring or composing for television or film, how different is working in video games than a traditional? Um, you know, other media, you have a, a master's in scoring for motion pictures, TV and other media from USC. So I know you have experience there. I, I know you've worked on television, TV shows that I've seen, and I'm sure many of our listeners have seen. Is it just a bigger book of music when you have to do a video game? Cause you have to account for every scenario yeah, I mean, or what's that process like? Quite a few things, actually. I mean, from a technical standpoint, I mean, everything that Brian Lee White was just saying, I mean, these are, these are factors that don't exist in, in television or film because you're dealing with sort of a finite timeline. And uh, with games, I mean, any, anything can happen. So you have to really account for, for basically every possible scenario. And from a creative standpoint, you really have to, you know, once you sort of have your guidelines, your parameters set, the rules that are set that Brian was talking about, I mean, then, then the job is to be creative within those parameters. And, and, it's, and it's pretty tricky because you have to, you know, it's with film, for example, I mean, when you're just dealing with a strict timeline, it's like, I know I have this many seconds to write a piece of music, it leads to this emotion, and that emotion needs to happen on this cut, and so on. But with, with games, I mean, you really have to cover a lot of emotions, you know, so there's typically a lot more music in games than maybe a typical film. Um, you know, and, and, but then also there is, you know, some similarities as well, because, uh, you know, Halo Wars 2, for example, uh, there's these really beautiful cutscenes that Blur Studios created. And you know, we scored those essentially like we were scoring a film. So they were scored to picture, to hit every cut, and, you know, and sort of live in, you know, in that, you know, set timeline, I suppose. And, uh, but, uh, from a creative standpoint, um, they're, they're very much the same. I mean, really, it's just you're always dealing with human emotions. So, you know, I mean, in a game, there's the same level of, you know, variety of emotions that you might have in, you know, as an as a audience member watching a film or a TV show. And you really have to touch on all of those things in order to sort of heighten the end user's experience. So, I mean, they're, they're a lot alike in many ways. You know, from the technical side of things, they're, they're very different. But, you know, I always try to approach game scores just like i would approach a film score you know having themes for specific characters and making sure i'm covering every you know possible emotion so the audience has some kind of like thread or attachment to to the end product sure um do you consider yourself a master manipulator then you're just playing with human emotions whether we want it to happen or not (laughs) that's basically what we do (laughs) (laughs) um trifon how how do you craft a story with music so is it you're approaching either in halo wars 2 where you're you know ranging from base building i can be doing for hours or going into a combat scenario that that might last also several minutes um what is that uh, emotional story arc of those smaller moments within within the larger game is it something where you're looking to just um, dictate the player's emotion of like fear or tension or peace and tranquility, or are you trying to create mini story arcs throughout where you you have this piece arranged that allows um multiple emotions to take place in in one scenario? 
Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both because, you know, so you're obviously like we're when writing the music where we know about sort of like if it's not playable yet, which in the case of Halo Wars 2, like a a lot of time when we were composing the music, it wasn't really anything to play. They're still developing it. But we have, you know, documents that sort of lay out the design. So we sort of know what the setting is and what the scenarios are that are going to happen. And so, you know, the way that I like to think about it is, you know, I want to create music that sets uh, the mood and the ability for people to feel. So not to hit them over the head with like, this is exactly how you need to feel this moment, but sort of, excuse me, uh, to have different levels of tension, um, that have like a little bit of ambiguity to the sound of it so that it just opens you up to feeling and, um, you know, and, and it has tension to it, but it's not hitting you over the head and telling you, okay, well, this is, exactly how you need to feel um and that actually tends to work pretty well in games because you know a lot of different things can happen and it can go in either direction so um i like to kind of go a little understated on outright emotion uh until it's um appropriate so for for the things like the the cutscenes, um and this is something that gordy is fantastic at like he mentioned you know writing character themes where you know, the different characters like Isabel and Atriox, they have their own melodic themes associated with them and there's sonic textures associated with them. Um, and so that, you know, triggers to the audience something very specific that, uh, you know, that something's happening with those characters. Um, but outside of that context, it's, you know, I, I leave a little bit of ambiguity. Do you have a, a favorite... Um instrument or texture sound piece that you kind of lean on more often than not or is it always starting from scratch and finding the the right thing for the right moment um so i mean usually for any project like we try to come up with uh sort of a palette of sounds um at the beginning so that we can use throughout and so usually i'll spend you know a couple weeks just creating sounds for a specific project you know and and in my background, a lot of it is just is sort of all record organic sounds like guitars or just like objects and things like that. And then build sort of uh, software like sample instruments out of them that uh, that we can use throughout. And having that palette that is custom but specific for the project, I think, really helps bring just a specific character to that project. It makes it sound unique because like, you know, there's a million composers out there. And we all have the same tools. We all have the same commercial sample libraries and synths and things like that. So to sort of stand out and uh, distinguish ourselves, like I try to create a uh, like just a cool sound set for us to use just on the project. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, White, when you're or when players are playing the game, is there a moment or a, a piece of music that stands out to you that players should look for without maybe spoiling something? I don't know if you know when it will show up. If <laughs> it's like at the very end of the game after this happens, um, is there is there a moment or a texture or some sound that happens in the game that you're most proud of that that players should keep an ear out for? I would say uh, one thing to listen to. Uh, it's it's actually a main menu cue. Um, what's the name? It's the first cue on the on the second disc. Oh, oh um, cratered. Okay. And so, if you listen, and this actually kind of ties all, all of our sounds together. There's there's a lead line that sort of sounds 
um, vaguely similar to a, a, a solo string instrument, but then that's a sound that we designed um, that plays the main melody. And then an actual cello uh, that we recorded during our sessions at Fox kind of doubles that melody. And so it's just kind of this really cool, organic kind of there there's there's something that's kind of otherworldly and synthetic about it but then there's also this real organic uh kind of component to it and i i thought that that turned out really really well just sort of how we blended uh our our two sounds the uh, finishing move and, and and sort of gordy's work with the orchestra yeah that's awesome I, I i love stuff like that because i feel like when done well um the layman doesn't notice anything we're just like that was pleasant or that was cool and then the people that have experience like oh no 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 wow that's so much is happening here and i'm just like of course that's what it sounds like (laughs) as you go through the world or or, you know open up the menus and and interact with the game there's also these other sounds um and and gordy can elaborate on 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 what he did with this uh, orchestrally so we had designed these kind of really raspy um kind of like synthetic, you know, kind of like brass hits. If you're into electronic music, they're called Reese's. They're kind of this bass nasty, uh, kind of nasty bass sound that kind of evolves with filters and, and kind of distortion. And so we use those a lot in, in our production because it kind of just gives this really visceral kind of, of, of intense hit to moments. And we already heard those. And he actually came up kind of with a way to orchestrate a organic a uh, uh, version of that using the brass in the orchestra to kind of mimic the filtering. Um, do you guys know what the name of, of a cue that, that does that? Because we did it on a few, Gordy. Yeah, I'm trying to think of that, what the titles were on the soundtrack. But um, we did, I mean, I did that on quite a few of them, actually. And it is it is a pretty cool effect. I think uh, Baron that uh, is one of the tracks on the soundtrack. I think it's track two. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, what I essentially did is I, I mean, I heard this sound that that finishing move had come up with, and I thought it was it just struck me as really cool and gritty, and the way it evolved, and it, it was you know the way the filters sort of manipulated you know the sound that um, sort of the uh, the timbre, and um, I thought how cool would it be to sort of double that with with an organic live version of the same effect and. Um, so what I did is I, you know, used the brass section and various mutes within the brass instruments that, to create the sound of a filter. So maybe I'd start with like the low trombones and they would have no mutes in and then the sound would pass on to the upper trombones and they'd have a different type of mute in the horn and then pass it to the French horns open and the French horns with a mute. And so it actually created like as it crossfaded from one section of the brass section to an, the other sort of this sound of like a filter sweep over a, a brass pad, which is, I, I think it was a pretty cool effect. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And, and the way it works with the synthetic version kind of creates this, you know, this otherworldly kind of sound that I, my knowledge hasn't really been big sound too. It's like a pretty visceral. Yeah. Sound. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Um, so Gordy having what I will say for you, conquered halo and conquered star Wars, uh, conquered the walking dead uh among others what's what's next are, are you going to continue i mean harry potter james bond star trek uh or are you looking to 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 do the put your stamp on something entirely new that so 10 years from now when whoever's doing this 
this podcast will be talking and be like, okay, so you've you've taken on Gordy's work. And not to say that you haven't done great original work, but stepping into this fandom world, is there do you have a hit list of things that you want to go and kind of play in that world? Or are you looking to kind of do do more um creating an entirely new sound for well, something. I mean, I'm always interested in, and even within the, these existing sounds, I always do this, but I'm, I'm always most interested in trying to have my own sort of aesthetic and my own voice, so to speak. And so and with, with all of these franchises, yes, I have existing music and, you know, I have to sort of study that and make sure that I'm living within that sound to some extent, but I always try to, you know, put a stamp on it. That's, that's, you know, definitively my own. And um, so I've gotten I've gotten pretty good at finding ways to do that and still make it live within you know that existing sound. And I think a big part of it is you know making a choice to either imitate directly imitate or to actually just absorb and internalize what makes that sound what it is, and then just do your own thing and just sort of let it you know breathe through that existing color palette, so to speak. And um, so, but you know. I would love to do a project that was, you know, completely, you know, from the ground up, you know, write my own brand new music, my whole new take on it. And, uh, and if I was going to do another existing franchise, I'm, I'm a huge Star Trek fan as well as Star Wars. And <laughs> I think it'd be really cool to sort of dive into that world on, on some level as well. Yeah, cool. Uh, and, and Brian's, you guys are finishing movies, your company, right? Your baby. Yeah. If, if there's a, 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 a thing outside of the the game world um you guys have done such great work in the video game world and you've done work outside of the video game space too but if there was something outside of the video game space um that you would love to tackle and take on what would that be um i think like a like a television show would be really cool like just you know uh something that's that's moody and vibey that we could really uh just just uh add our sound to i think would be cool brian, brian white what do you think yeah, definitely. I think I think TV right now is kind of the golden era of TV, and there's just like some really cool scores getting made for television. Um, that that you just if you go back ten years ago, it just wasn't the case. But now you, you know with Netflix and Amazon and 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 all the cable networks and HBO, it's just like the bar on on TV scores has gotten so high and so cool and so um, different, right? So you're starting to hear stuff like whether it's Mr. Robot um, or that show Billions. And it's like really kind of out of the box, non-traditional composers uh, working with electronics and things like that and uh, creating really, really cool narrative soundscapes and, and kind of really thinking outside the box. So yeah, definitely – TV would, would be something we'd love to get into. Very cool. Well, you guys certainly crushed it with Halo Wars 2 and my layman's very experienced video game playing and analyzing and listening to, but no experience actual creating uh, <laughs> in that world. One thing I like to kind of run down as we as we wind down, I don't want to keep you guys forever. Well, I want to, but I respect your time as professionals, so I won't. Um, if uh, and we can start... Uh, we can start Gordy with you and then everybody can kind of give, give their two cents. Um, what would you tell someone looking to have your job when they grow up a place to start, not do it, do it, do it, do it. Uh, what's, what's that recommendation? I would say only do it if your heart is 100% in it because it requires a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time. And, uh, you know, and there's, 
the industry has its ups and downs and you, you're going to get rejected and you're going to have to deal with that. And, but if, if it's what you really love and, and, and you really truly 100% want to do this thing, then absolutely you should go for it. And the best way to get into it is to meet people. I mean, it seems kind of simple, but just meet people making games or meet people making films. And, you know, a good way to do that is to go to the conferences, go to the game developers conference it happens every year in San Francisco. Uh, you know, that's uh, go to uh, you know, move to Los Angeles or move to a city where that industry sort of thrives. You know, I mean, that's that's a big risk for a lot of people, but it's one you have to take. And, um, you know, that's a risk I took you know, maybe 15 years ago, moving out to L.A. to get into film. And I just started meeting student filmmakers. And one thing led to the next. And a, and a friend of mine that I'd worked with many times was now an audio lead at, at LucasArts and said, hey, we have this Indiana Jones video game, and, you know, we'd love for you to, you know, submit a demo for it. And I had just written this music for sort of the Star Wars fan film uh, called Ryan vs. Dorkman. And the guy that made that film was just a guy I met, you know, at a Starbucks or something like that. And noticed he was working on a script and started talking. And the music I'd written for that, I used. Right. Has that story come out before that that's how you guys met? Um, I don't know, actually. That's crazy. One, it's awesome. Two, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so that's just how it works, man. I mean, you have to be where it's happening, you know, and that and that is a big risk for many people. I mean, but... Look, if, if your heart's 100% in it, then you got to make take that risk. And, you know, I did. And like I say, one thing led to the next. And that one person gave me an opportunity. That opportunity led to the first video game that I had done, the Indiana Jones video game, which sort of sealed the deal that I was sort of LucasArts guy for a long time doing all of their Star Wars games, which led to Battlefront and then ultimately led to Halo Wars 2 because, you know, I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity had I not already proven that I could live and write within an existing franchise with a large fan base. So, you know, it, it all starts from very small, humble beginnings, but you have to take that first risk. So all I heard is get your coffee from Starbucks. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's incredible. And then Brian's same question, but then also that the next step on top of it would be, you know, creating finishing move and, and going out and, and, you know, that's never an easy thing to do to say, here's our shingle. We're hanging it up. Um, sorry, debt here i come <laughs> yeah i mean you know i think you know so basically how brian and I, uh white and i sort of teamed up was that we, we'd both been working freelance for a long time like do, just doing our own gigs and then we'd hire each other for stuff and we were, we were good friends but you know what happened is uh, sometimes not every individual person has like all of the pieces, you know, it's like you might be good at some things, but not good at, at everything. But, you know, we realized that we actually had very complementary skills and that together we could take on much bigger projects. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. Cause, um, you know, I think we're both ambitious people and, and we both, uh, wanted to be doing cooler projects. And part of that meant, you know, turning down some of the work that we were doing before and teaming up and aiming for bigger things. And that meant taking a risk. And so that's, that's sort of what we did is, you know, took a risk and stuck our necks out there and, and we're like, okay, we can do this. And we ended up, you know, landing, uh, <laughs> landing some great projects. But, um, as Gordy was saying, it's like, you have to have very thick skin and be a hundred percent in, in it because there's a lot of stuff that falls through and doesn't work out. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, 
yeah, there's a lot of, of frustration that goes along with it. And it's a slow process too. So, um, and, and the things that, you know, like if speaking to people that are starting their careers, they don't realize is like, so for all this stuff that they get to, to see and hear about, like, oh, cool, we did Halo Wars 2 and Master Chief Collection and other stuff. Like, there's a lot of things before that that nobody's heard about or that fell through. Um, so, yeah, you really have to, to persevere and, and, and take some risks, too. Yeah, I was at um, Comic-Con. This was years ago now. And um, there was an office panel. And one of the people asked Rain Wilson afterward, go, and the question, it was sincere and whatever. I, I feel, I empathize for the question asker, but they just asked Rain Wilson. They said, uh, what office did they find you working in when you got this part? And he, he, he was like, excuse me? Like, well, clearly you work in an office. And he's like, uh, no, clearly I'm classically trained. I was on Shakespeare. And like, <laughs> it's like, that's not how it happens. And right. it, like, he had this moment of just like, oh my God. And people just don't realize that there's, you know, uh, infinite time before your quote unquote, uh, whether it's your out of nowhere break, like picked out of a crowd of millions. It's right. well, well, sure. But imagine that talent didn't just show up randomly, all the hard work that went into creating that. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I've, I've written music for about 50 films. You've never heard of I promise. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brian White, what about you? Do you have a, a tip or trick for someone that, that wants to get into that, that wants to take your job when you're old and retired? Yeah, I would, I would say that, um, it, you know, working, if you're going to, uh, whether you're, you're making music for albums or making music for television or making music for video games, uh, uh, 99% of the time you're going to be working as part of a team. Sometimes that team is going to be really, really big. And sometimes your team members are not always going to agree with you or be coming from the same point as you in terms of, of, of what they think might be best for the project. So in, in other words, there's a lot of stakeholders, especially when you get into uh, you know high-budget film and uh, AAA video games. And so just sort of learning how to, in addition to being great at, at composing and making music, learning how to be a cool person that is flexible and can sort of sympathize and empathize with with where others are coming from and just kind of not not being a weird dude not being an ass and not kind of you know keeping your ego in check within the team and kind of just being a good friend a cool person to hang out with you know the, the secret i think is people want to work with their friends they want to work uh with people they like um and and you might be surprised, but sometimes they'll pick their bro or their friend over someone who is maybe more qualified for the job, but they don't, I don't like that guy. Cause I, you know, I'm going to spend long hours and we're going to really want to come together and, and have a decent time doing this. Cause you know, when it comes down to the crunch, it, it can get miserable. And, and so you really want to have people on your team that you like to be around. And, and sometimes I, I, run into younger people and they ask, you know, like, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting gigs. And it's like, well, are you, you know, are you focusing on not being kind of a, a, a weirdo? I mean, we're all weirdos, but in, in the sense of like, you, you know, are you, are you cool? Are you friendly? Are you, are you good to hang out with? Or do you, you know, do you get along well with others? And uh, I think that that's like half of it. Or more than half, like, you know, the, the other half of just being a good composer, it's just kind of like 
being a being a person that other people want to work with and they think about when they think about hey who do I want to be in the trenches with who do I want to have my back in this situation um, and they don't really teach you that in any of the schools they don't I, I feel like they don't teach any of those skills and it's it's kind of a shame you kind of have to just like learn it on your own but uh, that would be my tip. Uh, that's a great point, and also a really smooth, humble brag for saying that you're just the dopest dude to hang out with. <laughs> that's we with Gordy. We, I mean, like we really just a kind of a story about how the the team for this came together. We were on the the Halo Wars uh, two team because we had done work in the Halo franchise before, so we were kind of brought on. Um, to the team and, and, uh, the audio director, um, Paul Lipson, uh, who's a good friend of ours and we've worked with him for a long time on, on Halo stuff. He was kind of like, well, who do you guys want to, who do you guys want to bring on, you know, to do this, to, to do the orchestral, the heavy lifting of the orchestral stuff. And he kind of threw out, he's like, you know, I got this guy, Gordy, Gordy Hab. And, uh, at that, at that moment, I had never, I had never met him. Neither of us had, had met him. And, and, uh, he said, Hey, let's just like set up a, a meet and, and vibe. And instantly we knew Gordy was a super cool dude. And actually like, there's a lot of composers that are not the coolest dudes to <laughs> hang out with. But Gordy was just like, in, we were just like instant friends and have been ever since. And so I feel like this specific you know, game project is a, 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 a testament to that kind of like, you know, people that, you know, are, are buds and work well together and, and, and just really um, come together at crunch time. It's totally true. I mean, uh, totally, be- totally true that you're a cool dude. Is that what you're? <laughs> no, no, he's right that, I mean, you really just have to vibe with the people you're working with. Cause I mean, you're really in the trenches for long periods of time. And I mean, you know, to, to be in the trenches with somebody you don't even get along with, I mean, that's just misery. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and there's like a lot of people that it's like, I mean, there's people out there that are amazingly talented, but that are just like really, really unpleasant. And it's just not, that's not worth it at all. You know? No, that is that is too true. You spend more time with your colleagues than you do your family. Uh, so keep in mind that you get to when you can pick your colleagues, uh, <laughs> pick, pick them well. Um, the the last thing I always want to do is where people can keep up with you and and see more of your work and keep in touch and stuff like that if they if they'd like. But before we get there, the second to last thing that I would like to do, you guys don't have to answer this, but I always enjoy asking the question: um, What advice would you give yourself? 10 years in the future. So the the thing 10 years from now, the thing that you want yourself to remember right now, whether it's, you know, it can be anything. Hey, life's beautiful. You saw a butterfly today or hang in there, kitty cat or quit. What are you doing? Um, whatever that, that note, this little time capsule, this audio time capsule we're creating, Gordy, what is 10 year future you need to hear? Don't quit. Because I mean, there's many times, you know, over the past 15 years of, you know, venturing out to LA and, and trying to make a career and composing music where I wanted to just quit, give up. It would be easier to move back where I grew up and be around my friends from you know high school and college and here out here all by myself and don't know anyone and I have to meet new people and it's and it's it's overwhelming. And uh, so you know but now looking back on it, you know, I really stuck it out and I, I put in the hard work and and it's it's all paying off. And 
you know, very happy with where I am in my career. So if I was to tell myself 10 years ago, I'd just say, hey, look, man, you know, hang on. It'll be okay. You know, just keep oh, no. putting in the work. Don't but what do you tell 2029 you? What's the future <laughs> you need to hear? Yeah, that's a good question, man. That's that's actually a philosophical question. Um, hopefully, good job. <laughs> the Oscar goes to, or uh... yeah, exactly, yeah. That's awesome, uh, Brian Trifon. Do you have uh, advice for ten years ago you and ten years future you? What is that thing that you need to hear, uh, or that you think you need to hear? If Bill and Ted, you, that telephone booth lands in your yard, and you have um, you yeah. know, ten seconds. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, if, if it's if it's the future me, then I would want to travel back in time. <laughs> And somehow change the outcome of the election that happened uh, <laughs> last year. So that that would be where the future me would be like, okay, you need to travel back to November 2016 and influence the outcome of the election so that it just changes the world back to the timeline it's supposed to be on. Well, that was actually Ashton Kutcher's fault when he made the movie Butterfly Effect. He actually <laughs> altered the timeline by making that. So neither here yeah. nor there. There we go. So I'd, I'd have to like go back and have him not make that film. I think. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. In terms, terms of what I'd tell myself in the past, like ten years ago, I, I think it's just to, to persevere. You know, um, and and I think that's that's sort of a common theme uh, throughout all of us. But yeah, it's just like it's, um, yeah, per- perseverance is is the main ingredient. I think. And, and Brian Wright, yours wouldn't be bet on the Cubs or the Cavaliers that, that pays out huge. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like mine would be like, uh, uh, like uh, keep your drinking in check, Brian, or something <laughs> <laughs> to that extent. Uh, no, or, or I would say, you know, one thing that I think we all get kind of wrapped up in, especially as we get, uh, you know, as, as work consumes us and our profile sort of, sort of climbs, it's just, you know, like, just keep, keep, uh, uh, Remind yourself to uh, spend time with your family and 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 remember what's really important because I think sometimes we can kind of get get away from that. And uh, so yeah, my grandpa died recently, and I was able to see him uh, right before he died, and it just kind of reminded me of of like mortality and and what really matters. So that's that's probably what I would tell my future ten year. Like, are you are you doing good by your family? Yeah. Uh, way to bring it down. Um, <laughs> um, well, this was awesome. If you haven't, go pick up and play Halo Wars 2. It's available on the Xbox One and PC, part of the Play Anywhere um, games that, that Microsoft has out right now. Gordy, if people want to see more of your work or keep in touch with you or try to meet you uh, as their person that they move out to LA and, and meet and try to prove that they're a cool hang, um, where can people see more of your work or keep in touch? Keep in touch with me. You can look me up on Facebook or Twitter, and it's uh, at Gordy Hab. It's my Twitter, and um, you know, I actually I have a website that I wouldn't recommend people go to because it hasn't been updated in about four years. But but I'm going to take care of that, and you can hopefully hear some of my work there. Um, yeah, I mean, just check out the games I've worked on. Battlefront's the most recent, uh, you know, in addition to Halo Wars too. Um, yeah, that's it. Cool, awesome, uh, Brian White. What about you? Uh, oh, you can uh, check out our website, uh, finishingmoveinc.com. We're also on Facebook, um, both of us individually and, and our company. Uh, I'm at Brian Lee White on, on Twitter. 
uh yeah we got a soundcloud so um uh, finishing move just search that on soundcloud and uh you can check out what we're up to sonically yep and then uh all the things that brian white said and then my twitter handle is at trifonic i'm also just on facebook so yeah look me up and add me and maybe i'll maybe i'll answer your friend request (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's brave facebook is the who yeah that's brave um well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. <laughs>